Hello and welcome to Talking Toontics. Uh, this is the podcast where we discuss the philosophy and politics of animated films that are aimed at families and children. Um, but uh, I realized recently we, we could actually just call it um, the podcast where we, we problematize uh, family movies. Yeah, the, the <laughs> podcast where we, we sit and indulge ourselves in whatever is interesting to us at the moment. Without a care of who's listening to it, if anyone. Yeah. The podcast where... But on that, on that note, we actually have, we have proof that someone does listen to it. Mm, we, no, and today uh, uh, we have a special guest with us. And his name is Adrian. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Hi, I'm here to help you overcomplicate things. What uh, qualifies you as a, a guest? What, what, what are your qualifications? Mm, credentials. For talking, credentials. credentials for talking credentials. about children's films. Yeah. Um, well, but also for being on this podcast. This podcast specifically. Yeah. Well, I'm friends with you. Yeah. <laughs> I listen to your podcast. Genuinely listen to it. You know, I listen to lots of podcasts, but you are one of the podcasts I listen to and I enjoy it. And uh, I watch a lot of films. Watched, yeah, watch at least a film a day. And um, how, how are we doing? We're, we're eight episodes in. It's taken us a year and a half to record eight episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Where did, what do you, how, what, can you give us any tips? <laughs> I, I mean, I would appreciate, as, as, let's, just as an audience member, I would appreciate a bit more consistency in the release schedule. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but then the thing is, I, I also think it doesn't really matter when you have, like, a backlog, right? My thing when I go and I listen to podcasts, like, if I see they only have, like, one or two episodes, I'll be like, I'll check back on you in a year, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, if I see you have... A bunch of episodes even if it's like 20 episodes i'll be like oh okay yeah because that's enough to work through right yeah, you totally. can like even like pace yourself but yeah I, I think that's my thing i think we're at a good stage now where i could maybe like start an instagram and just release a do a post every week and build an audience and people yeah. might actually find the podcast and but is there like the but the, the kind in terms of content? Do you think we we're onto something? Here? I think yeah. I mean, I think the the format and the structure that you you guys use is just kind of tried, tested, and true, right? There's lots of podcasts that do that. Um, I listen to those and I listen to you, so just keep it up. Like it can only nice. get better. This is the thing with every kind of creative endeavor, right? Is that you have to do it a hundred times, you know. For it to be to to be exactly where you want it to, or not even exactly where you want it to be, but you know, better than before, basically. It's like taking yeah. photos, or like, making movies, or making movies, which we're going to be doing more of. Oh wow! Um, so today, this is a big one because um, so far we've done a lot of movies that we like, but I think this is maybe the first truly great like a classic would you agree this is this is my personal second favorite movie like of all time of, of all time this is well well not not necessarily favorite but i think it's the second best movie i've ever seen wow what's the first terminator 2 okay yes <laughs> and yeah. i mean huge link as well <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> i I, I, I really enjoyed my rewatch. When you first asked me whether I like the Iron Giant, I was like, yeah, of course I like the Iron Giant because I love, you know, giant robot things. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then I rewatched it and I was like, oh yeah, this film traumatized me as a child. <laughs> I'm, I was like an extremely sensitive child, you know? And I, mm-hmm. I'm also like an extremely sensitive adult. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, watching it was a trip. It broke me a little bit. I did cry a bit, but you know. Did you did you both see it in the cinema when it came out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I missed it because it was at that... So 99, how old would I have been? I would have been 12. So I was still at the age where you watch like animated films. But I guess I was... Oh, it was the same year as Toy Story 2. Mm. And I definitely went to see that. But I remember having the feeling of I'm about to get too old for this kind of thing. Like... You know, in my own pretentious little brain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, within two years, I was massively into The Matrix. Like, after yeah. the, you know. Oh, I, yeah, I was hugely into The Matrix. Like, I guess it would have been 2000 when it came out on video. Yeah. And it was The Matrix and yeah, American Pie. Yeah, I saw it in Pie. 2001. Yeah, t- 2001 was The Matrix, American Pie. It was that Ascension. Fight Club. Yeah, Fight Club as well. Ascension into, like, uh, adult movies, in air quotes. But also, there's a, like, really interesting thing about giving, like, 10 to 12-year-olds Fight Club. <laughs> and being like yeah. especially men and being like okay now use this as your path into the world but that's another conversation yeah here's a representation of masculinity yeah. do with it what you will yeah. I'm sure and, uh, it was like a video games commentator I was I was seeing t- talking about like the tone of adolescent stuff where it's like okay we're now hyper obsessed with being adult mm. like everything has to be really adult yeah. so you can tell when something's a bit too far because then you get you get uh yeah the the matrix fight club um you get new metal Mm -hmm. metal. and you get you get like all you get the all of the early 2000s video game scene that is like gears of war and and max Yeah, Max Payne was so dark. It was so dark. It was so brown, and yeah. everyone has guns. And <laughs> yeah. I think this is around the time Sonic got like a, a the dark sh- shade, yeah, yeah, the shadow. Sonic got a remaster, and they really Sonic? shadow the hedgehog who is silver and has a machine gun. Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Knuckles became like more prominent in the comic books. Like I used to read a lot of comic books, and you know he was like more of an anti-hero. Right. Um, yeah, the the early late nineties, early noughties was like a really interesting time for that that mm. pushing that. Like, and nineteen ninety nine, which is when this film came out, is one of the great movie years. Yeah. Mm. I just wondered though, just to start with, like, have have either of you read? Do you remember reading the Iron Man? No, I haven't ever read the book. I actually didn't know it was based on a book until you mm. said it. So I didn't know it was based on a book until I got the DVD, and the DVD came with the book, and I read it then. Wow! Do you remember much about it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I reread it quite recently because you can find it for free online, lots of places illegally, probably. Yeah, well, I did. I, I've, I've actually got a, a printout of the illegally ripped uh, oh, nice. PDF uh, with me. Z Library proof. Z Library, yeah. Block that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but uh, I did read it when I was in primary school, and I remember. Uh, it must have been one of the first books that I really loved, I really got into and enjoyed reading. And, but upon rereading it, because I, I reread it for this episode, um, I realized I completely forgot how batshit crazy it is. Yeah. And how it's not just about the arrival of this um, Iron Man, it's, uh, it's got, what's it called? A, um, a space bat angel dragon. 
Um, but what is the, one of those? It's a giant dragon that comes from space, and then the Iron Man is recruited to like protect Earth against this dragon. So it's the antagonist yeah. in the book. That's like half well, the story. First, the first half is the Iron Giant, the Iron Man. Um, weird. Okay, so get this. It's written by poet laureate Ted Hughes, and um, he wrote it as uh, some kind of a, a comfort or um, a, just a way to help his children and help mm-hmm. himself process his wife's death because his wife was Sylvia Plath who, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. committed suicide with mm. put her head in the oven. Is that right? Do you remember? I think we say died by suicide now. Oh my God, yeah. you're right. You're yes. Ca- um, so you're, you're cancelled. You. Yeah. yeah. No, if, um, that's, that, yeah, they um, died by suicide. That, yeah, yeah. So um, um, I'm sorry about that. I, in my notes, I titled this first section, um, Ted Hughes, the enormous bastard. <laughs> yeah, I've also heard he's an enormous <laughs> bastard. Yeah, okay, so, so you can do the history. So I, I, sort of, I sort of wrote my notes of this bit um, in a sort of rough chronology, and I didn't realise just how fast everything happens in the, the Hughes-Plath mythos. Uh, like, they're married at some point in the mid-50s, and they have a not really very okay relationship they seem to love one another but also he hits her a lot okay um in 19 between the space of 1960 and 1963 in the space of three years she has two children and then uh Ted cheats on her a whole bunch and she kills herself at the beginning of 1963. And these are massive, massive life-changing stuff. She also, um, I think she also miscarried one child because of him beating her. Oh my God. Um, 1965, he has a third child with the new woman who he's been cheating on Sylvia with. Yeah. 1968, The Iron Man is published, his book. And 1969, uh, his new wife kills herself as well. Oh, There's a trend here. A this, is the, this is the dark and gritty <laughs> mystery behind this kind of... Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, she, and she, she kills her child with, that she had with him as well. Holy Jesus. Oh my God. So this is a guy who is surrounded by misery and suicide um his yeah one of uh, his his son nicholas with sylvia plath would also go on to kill himself in later life after after he dies but it's this guy is uh, you get the impression reading about this guy that he's he's not a particularly nice person <laughs> he's just surrounded by like depressed people who go on to, to kill themselves. Mm. Wow. Which is... He doesn't sound like a nice person, mm. but you either have to be such a... like a, an abuser, you know what I mean? To like inflict mm. that amount of pain on someone to drive them to that. Or you're attracting people with that already into your circle, you know? Because it seems like mm. there's a lot of... <laughs> you know what I mean Maybe like it makes way. sense it makes sense with the, the domestic abuse angle and stuff like that obviously mm. I'm just like it seems yeah, yeah. like his son after yeah. he died and that's not me defending anything I'm just saying mm. like but 
certainly in the uh, um, mid 20th century, um, this kind of thing seems to go hand in hand with like male writers mm. and particularly male poets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, um, part of being a poet is having, having someone look after like your house and the children while you concentrate on being a poet. Yeah. And you know, you just, you just gotta, gotta do violence as well. It's all part of it. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Wow. Well, that's not, how I planned on this episode <laughs> opening, but, but that's very important. I think that's story. well, but so the the myth then that I read, or like the mm. the romantic idea that I um, constructed in your head. Well, no, that I I read on Wikipedia, uh, okay. which is where I do all my research. Well, that Wikipedia No, that's the thing. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. is that he wrote this story uh, to help. Yeah, to yeah. help in terms of that mythology, it makes total sense in terms of the more uh, sanitized version. Because that is a, a sanitized. Uh, how is a publisher yeah. ever going to market that book? Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. You can see sort of how that view comes around because the first chapter of the book, The, the Iron Man by Ted Hughes... Well, the is, first act that the Iron Man does is mm. jumping off a cliff. Yeah, the first, I, I think it's an accident in the book or it's not clear, but the, the first ch- chapter he takes is a step. He, falls, he falls off a cliff yeah. and smashes into bits. And yeah. the first chapter is him doing that and then all of the bits reassemble. Yeah. And that's sort of like... You which can, is you kind can see of how like, being like, which is kind of this beautiful ending of the movie that we're talking mm. about today. Like, which that. I, I punched the air when that because I totally forgot about the ending. Because <laughs> I think, like, especially like the trauma, we'll get to that. But yeah. like the reliving that ending All scene, the I was just like finding themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that is basically mm. the opening of the novel. But just to run through quickly, so the. the the, the novel opens with the Iron Man stepping off of a cliff. He's, he's, it says he's never seen the sea before. Mm. He steps off a cliff and lands on the beach and crashes and falls apart. Then he puts himself together. Then he starts like eating all this metal. He eats train tracks and barbed wire fences and tractors and people are really upset with him. They try and trap him. With the help of this young boy, Hogarth, they manage to trap him in a big hole and they bury him and then he breaks out and ruins somebody's picnic <laughs> um, and then so mid 20th but, but then but then Hogarth and they think right we've got to get the army in but then Hogarth says no wait I've got a great idea let's just take him to the scrapyard and he eats all he all he can eat at the scrapyard so that like antagonist is dealt with and then comes this like enormous dragon the size of Australia and it just lands on Australia mm-hmm. and the dragon wants to eat human flesh and it demands a meal. Okay. And now so it's then like really tying into those themes of mortality. And and then the um uh the the Iron Man is uh is recruited by humanity to defend it and then begins this scene like rather than having like a Hollywood punch-up where the Iron Man goes and fights the dragon. Mm-hmm. They have this thing that's reminded me of... It's like a battle of wits, or not wits, but it's um, it's more of a... It's a challenge where basically he challenges the, the dragon uh, to a test of strength, where he... Like, they make this big fire pit, and he lays down on a bed in the fire pit, and, um, and it, 
experiences extreme heat mm-hmm. um, for a long period of time, and so he becomes white hot. Um, and then he's like, yeah, now you've got to do the same, but because you're so big, you have to do it on the sun. So the dragon has to fly to the sun. And it just kind of reminded me of like Riddles in the Dark yeah. in Hobbit. Like rather than having a fight, mm-hmm. they do this like a challenge. Yeah. Or um, yeah. It reminded me of like, um, like either like Greek tragedies, like silly trickster gods or like, exactly, or like yeah. Nancy stories as well. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? And, and But then and get this, and then at the end, like the Iron Giant, the Iron Man wins um, the challenge. Like he can withstand the most mm. heat. The dragon is like half. He's a shell of the dragon he used to be because he's been burned so much by the sun. And then the Iron Man makes him his slave. He uses that language. Says, "Right, you're my slave now, and I, um, I want you to, like, what's your nature? What do you normally do?" And the dragon's like, well, dragons usually fly around the cosmos um, singing and making music. But the reason I came here is because I was so excited by all the war and battle cries of Earth. And I wanted to come and make war. Um, And he's like, right, you're my slave now, so go and sing around the cosmos. And then the music that the dragon makes calms down Earth, like the inhabitants of Earth. And like war is no longer a thing. Mm -hmm. And in, so, it's yeah. it's supposed to be about like industrialization and the environment and war, but it's all it's also um, it's like a fable. It's also allegorical and I don't know. It's a weird weird book and it doesn't quite. But also like it, the 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 war of human beings isn't really established at the beginning of the mm. book. It kind of comes in later. Well, he just says, like, oh, I came here because of yeah, the yeah, war, yeah, and now I'm going to solve war. But, like, it wasn't set up at the beginning. It's very strange. It's a weird the, book. The, the impression I get from the book is it's, like, it's the ultimate, like, I, I, I picture Ted Hughes writing this in, like, dad mode of, like, I'm going to do whatever I want. And then pretend it was for my kids all along. Yeah, <laughs> it, definitely, it definitely follows like a child's logic. Mm. Um, like even in the first scene when seagulls are discovering different parts of the Iron Man, mm-hmm. and it says like the Iron Man, his head is as big as a bedroom, like he's taller than a house. Mm-hmm. And yet there's seagulls finding an eye and like lifting an eye up. Mm-hmm. And then there's another seagull that finds a hand and is dragging the hand along and. The hand is supposed to be, you know, like five meters like, square. Do you think, like, uh, in terms of when the book was published, obviously things like iRobot and stuff had only come out, what, like maybe 10, 20 years before, like this concept of size and scale and robotics would have been so fresh and so new that you would have made those kind of mistakes or like not understood like the weight of things, right? right? Because like maybe. the seagull could be picking up a, quite a light but massive eyeball you know what I mean yeah like maybe kind of I think it's more like child's like logic mm. because there's the scene when they dig a massive hole and they dig a huge hole and then they cover it up with tree branches and then soil on top mm-hmm. of that so it's and like then it, playing it looks like a, it looks like a like a freshly mowed field like um, and it's like what well, yeah that's impossible that wouldn't happen <laughs> you know um, and then obviously the the space bat angel dragon Anyway, um, it's uh, it's kind of a weird movie, and but there's kind of an a, there's an anti-war message in there, 
and yeah. that's what Brad Bird kind of really got into. So I think so, yeah. Is so your first chapter in your research is Ted Hughes the enormous bastard. Yeah. Is chapter two Brad Bird the enormous bastard? Is that a chapter? Or? Um, I didn't get to chapter... Th- chapter three is Brad Bird the something something. I couldn't think of a title. Well... But chap- <laughs> I think chapter, chapter two is called Pete Townsend's shit concept album. Oh, yeah. Have you heard about this? I have not heard about this. this you guys are just nuts. educated. <laughs> but just quickly about the book, because obviously I've never read it and you guys have just told me about it. But just like, have you... Have you guys read The Neverending Story? Uh, I actually I haven't read. finished it yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a slog. It's a depressing slog. Really? The children's book. Mm. I mean, like... I've still never seen the film. Oh, my God. I know. So, I, when, when I lived in America, my mum... There used to be this uh, barber's hairdressers for kids, right? And they'd always let you pick out VHS tape. And every time I went to get my hair cut, I'd get The Neverending Story. And I would just watch that while I was getting my hair cut. But the thing is, a haircut doesn't take like two hours. So I never got to the really, really fucking dark stuff. <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, we don't need to get into that. But the whole like space dragon thing, like this oncoming darkness, these kind of uh, things, like themes in the book seem to be like really prevalent in like children's literature around the time. Yeah. yeah. And there's some, that it never name checks England, mm-hmm. but it feels very English. English, yeah. And... But also, it, it's, I mean, it's kind of famous for being about industrialization, but I can never quite place, okay, well, what is the direct metaphor for what? And so, okay, maybe the Iron Man is industrialism um, and it's causing havoc and ruining the countryside. Okay, good. And then they try and bury him. So is that like about like waste of... Industry, but it but he comes back and causes more problems. So that all works, right? But then they let him eat metal in a in a scrap heap. So they they've they've made industrial industrialism work for them in harmony. And then the dragon comes along. Is like, is that is he the is that the USSR? Mm. Like, is that Russia? <laughs> and then and then so like we we need to learn to live in harmony with industrialism and capitalism um to enslave the ussr (laughs) and make them sing for us is that what the book's about would you would you say this is an example of where the source material is far inferior to the uh to the adaptation absolutely in my opinion Uh, yes completely i think it's just two very 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 different Mm. things very different because i i i think as this fable it's a beautiful little book and the film is just, it's a whole other thing. But the, the film is perfect and it's, I think it's a very American, it's an American masterpiece. I think, so, if, um, whereas the book is like a very British English fable, kind of yeah. reminded me of Tolkien. Tolkien, yeah, yeah, I was about to, I was about to say, it mm-hmm. sounded like, you know, that kind of construction of, of the fantasy world, not as, not as deep as Tolkien, but you know, yeah. it's building a world where you have space, cosmic space dragons singing and pacifying planets. So, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, the thing, um, just on the theme of war that Brad Bird extrapolated and like added, uh, and made like the core tenant of the film, like 
Uh, what I because uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk about because it, it was the thing <laughs> that was in my head, and then we can. We're assuming that everyone who's listening to this has seen the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Spoilers all the way throughout. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the film, they like he he takes this idea from the book or this anti-war message. And then he sets the film in the 50s when you had... And then all of his film references are these B-movies from the 50s. You know, like The Thing from Another World or uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. um, And like, you know, really honed into this like otherization of like, you know, the USSR. But also like Hogarth is alone and like... Dean is a beat and just like it's cultural and racial and national xenophobia yeah 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 it's beautiful it fits together beautifully all of it but the thing that I was thinking just one last final point on this is like when it was released it was like a nostalgia piece but like it's more relevant today like post 9-11 post Trump post Brexit when we like live in this like really divided society than it was in like 1999 where everyone was like kind of or at least the perception that we had with like rose tinted glasses is that everyone was holding hands and singing kumbaya basically Um, and just like at Woodstock yeah exactly just like at Woodstock 99 Um, but yeah I just I just found that was like a really interesting well it's I don't know if you know about like Brad Bird's personal reason for making the film, but we'll—I mean, I'm sure we're both going to get to it—and it's even more personal mm. than 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 you you thought. Like his, his anti-war mm. message is like really deeply personal. But let's get back so to chapter two. Let's get back <laughs> to Pete Townsend's shit concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apologies <laughs> for that total there's, tangent there. There's no fo- like it's a mildly interesting story, but there's no there's no real depth to this. I listened to it all. But, you listen to it all. Yeah, I listen because um, there's one YouTube clip, and they 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 appeared to have made a film with special effects to mm. accompany the musical. But there's only one clip of one song. Yeah. Um, but that's it, a shame. It's cool. Um, yeah, go on. Um, yeah, it was yeah. A, it was a staged musical for a while. But he he said, I, Pete Townsend just said, I'm gonna make another musical. Just like Tommy, after Tommy, yeah. after Tommy and Quadrophenia and all, all the Who stuff, he just did a side project. And the surviving members of the Who are in it, and he has a bunch of guest singers. And Nina Simone, Nina Simone is the space it? dragon. That's pretty um, crazy. Isn't that yeah, nuts? Yeah, that's nuts? Yeah, yeah, all the all the all the guest people are like have roles in the. In I mean, this doesn't sound very bad, to be honest. It sounds like a masterpiece. Very bad. The lyrics. The Iron Man is John Lee Hooker. Yeah, the Iron Man is John Lee Hooker. Um, I mean, this can't this can't be anything but good. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Pete Townsend wrote the lyrics though. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine he's um, great at that. I I don't know. Maybe we can stick in a clip. A friend is a friend. Nothing can change that. Arguments, squabbles can't break the contract. So the. It Check was it, it was released. The album was released in 1989 and suffered bad overproduction, <laughs> like 1980s style. Mm-hmm. If you listen to it, it just it just makes your skin crawl. Like like the like everything is like heavily synth, heavily compressed. This this really like trying to be rich and just sounding flat. Gated drums. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. All of that shit. So that comes out in 1989 and kind of flops as an album. The, the, um, 
shortly afterwards, uh, the guy named Richard Basley, who would become the lead animator of The Iron Giant, the movie, pitches the oh, concept wow. to Don Bluth, who mm, turns it down. Amazing. Wait, who's Don Bluth? Don Bluth is the, the ex-Disney guy who stormed off to do his own animation stuff right. and would make like um, an American Tale and other other. He also did like adult ones as well, didn't he? He did like so. uh, Wizards. Am, am I right? I'm gonna have to double check that because mm. I don't want to be wrong about that. But yeah, okay. no, I'm wrong about that. But <laughs> uh, Don Bluth, like, yeah, the, I, I I think he was carrying forward that like with American Tale and stuff like that. Mm. That really nostalgic kind of um, uh, I, uh, animation I, I... style. I remember really liking Titan AE when it oh, came out. That's, that's it, right. yes, yes, yes. I yes. haven't seen that one. But it's yeah. I always confuse that with Treasure Planet. Yeah, everyone which is does. a great movie. Mm. Yeah, so Titan AE, like Treasure Planet is a great movie. Like hundred yeah. percent no shade against that. But Titan AE was like attempting something bigger. If that mm. like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and whether it achieves And that was one of the of first those, like completely CGI or was it still a 2D I, I think a lot of it was CG as well but it was yeah, mostly yeah. 2D but there was CG elements too uh, um, Land Before Time Anastasia yes, that's the just, Land Before right? Time that's one of my all time favourites The Secret favorites. of Nim we've got to do that yeah that, that, that's it that well, just yeah. and then who was I thinking about Wizards sorry I need to know aren't this. they like DreamWorks pictures though the Anastasia or yeah, they might be, but Don Bluth was like right. the guy who okay. left Disney. He was the one who was just like, fuck this shit. I'm not doing this anymore. Like to be this faceless cog mm. and went sure. off to be like... That's which exactly what Brad Bird did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, Ralph so... Bakshi, sorry. Ralph Bakshi, well, he's my guy before. Yeah, yeah. Are you into him? Like, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I love that guy. I had, I had like Wizards on DVD when I was a kid and I was way too young for that shit. But I mean, I loved it. <laughs> Fritz the Cat and Coonskin are just nuts. I really want to watch um, his Lord of the Rings stuff. But anyway, that's the total... Yeah, total, total, total this, the production story continues. Um, so this thing is still dead. The concept is floating around. Um, uh, the stage musical comes out and has a run at the Young Vic. And it actually was the performed. The Young Vic. The Young Vic, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is actually performed and runs for a while. That's and it is wild. on the strength of this very good, apparently, stage musical that the pitch finally works and they sell it to Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um, so there was a point to the uh, concept album. Yeah. It led to one of the yeah, greatest the, animated films of all time. The concept album. <laughs> and P- Pete Townsend has an EP credit in the movie as well. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, but, but basically... Um, Warner Brothers had this property and the, the, they were going to adapt the musical into a film, into yeah. an animated film. And then Brad Bird came on board. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to use any of that music. And um, yeah, I don't want any of this. And no, I think it would be better set in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And I completely changed it around. The stuff he removes is all the worst stuff <laughs> from, from the, the Iron Giant mythos. Yeah. Oh, um, it's, called, it's called The Iron Giant because it's released in America. Oh, the, yeah. bu- the book is called The Iron Giant in America because yeah. they have Iron Man already in the 60s you when mean it came out. Robert Downey Jr. They have Ro- Robert Downey Jr.'s yeah. Iron Man. Yeah. Na, 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 na. 
Have you ever read any of those like old original Iron Man comic books? No, I haven't. No, They're no. really not very good. <laughs> Tony Stark. Well, the thing is, is like Marvel, like what they did with Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man, like really rehabilitated that character because I mean, he was like Batman without the trauma. Yeah. If you know what I mean, he was just like this douchebag. Later on, like in the '90s and stuff, they made him an alcoholic and all that other kind of stuff. Like what they did in Iron Man too. Um, but that you know really helped make the character kind of relatable because other than that he was just like a rich billionaire who you know was yeah. smart and had them all looks money and anyway. piece of shit piece of shit yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. anyway anyway the Iron Giant that's a good yeah so it's today. the Iron Giant America mm. yeah. and that's the, that's the story and now we can talk about Brad Bird which is okay. chapter three which I didn't get to but you know the story as well well Brad Bird I think we'll just do a really quick rundown but he basically was this wonder kid who was obsessed with animation he saw an animated movie and he asked his mum like how do i how do i do that and she said oh well you know you draw one drawing and and you draw another one that's slightly different you run them together 24 frames per second and you get to create the illusion of movement and he's like no no, no how do i do that as a career <laughs> and how do i get paid to how is that my life and um, he was obsessed and he decided to write to who's the like one who, what's the your list of people that you want to mentor you who's at the top he's like Disney mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he, he's just this kid who's fixated goes to Disney and um, he sends them animations that he made and he made I don't know how old he was but he made uh, his own version of Tortoise in the Hair okay yeah and you can watch it on YouTube. It's kind of stunning. Like mm. it, it's really impressive for like a kid like learning how to animate. He sends that to Disney, and they're like, "Wow, you've you're really serious about this." And he becomes he gets mentored by Milt Carl, who's one of the nine original like founding animators what, what, from Disney. Would they they have Milt a specific night and like title that they? Yeah, the, like the nine. I don't know. It's the, like nine the nine something. something. Yeah, it's because I, I saw it the other day. So it's like they're like know. legends. Yeah, takes him under his wing, um, and teaches him everything he knows, and he becomes this golden boy for at Disney, and he works on. Um, all these Disney movies uh, and there's one The Fox and the Hound when he works he works on it with amongst others Tim Burton and a load of other really famous people who, who went who got big in animation but they all had a dreadful time on that movie because this is before the 90s renaissance and it's when Disney had really lost its footing and they were just playing everything so, so safe and it was so sanitized mm-hmm. and just really boring and uninspired. And they all had such a dreadful time making that movie because they thought it was dog shit. Mm-hmm. And t- Tim Burton like says the same thing, like he was like a completely disillusioned with Disney. Um, and Brad Bird had the goal to actually go to the, the higher ups at Disney and say, you're not running this ship right. Mm. Like, you know, this isn't the Disney that I fell in love with. The youthful exuberance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they fired him. (laughs) Because he's like, you snot-nosed kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, and he goes away. I'm like, like compressing a lot of history here, but he goes away. um, He he gets a job on The Simpsons. He animates some of the most like legendary episodes, like uh, one with Krusty the Clown. uh, I can't. I can't remember. He directs the Batman music video. Mm. Um, he does loads of stuff, and then something 
completely tragic happens in his um, personal life. His sister, with whom he's very close, is shot and killed, like murdered by her husband. That's, oh my god! By her estranged husband, and it just completely devastates him. And um, it's around this time when he's working on The Simpsons, and he says that the like having that job at The Simpsons really just helped him through that horrendous mm. period of his life. And uh, this is when the Iron Giant. Oh yeah, he's like you know, been fired from Disney and I guess in conversations with Warner and they're like, we have this Iron Giant um, concept, Pete Townsend musical. And he's like, yeah, like I don't like the music. I wouldn't do that. Um, and he suddenly has this epiphany around the tragedy with his sister. Um, and he thinks his pitch is basically, what if a gun, an inanimate object, has a soul mm. and what if a gun knows that it's a gun and doesn't want to be a gun anymore like what if it's like self-aware and that's his whole pitch about the iron giant mm. and he just goes in and they're like, mm, what if a, what if a gun has a soul and like does, what if a gun doesn't want to be a gun he's like right it's set in the 50s and all this and the beatniks and mm. this whole mm. cultural and, and like russia and and fear of atomic uh, warfare and all that and it all he just sells it on his own and they're, they're like yes great um, make it you've got a third of the budget of a regular movie this size and you've got half the time to make it and so he proceeds to employ um, loads of young people who've never been given a shot before mm-hmm. loads of old timers he pulls out of retirement and just loads of really really difficult like kooks mm. like nut jobs who are like good animators but they're difficult yeah. right and he just pulls together this ragtag team of people to pull off this vision and he pushes them all like crazy and I guess you, you got more on, um, on the production of this because uh, it's no, like no, this that's, cra- as as, that's as far as I got I'm crazy glad, I'm schedule <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you knew about this bit because this is the bit I didn't know well I basically I got all this from the there's a blu-ray um making of documentary called a giant's dream and it's it's really good i really recommend it it's got the whole story of of the production of this film but basically it's a ragtag team and uh, like just pulling something off you know against all odds kind of thing um he traditionally uh, particularly at disney like you would have um one animator would focus on one character throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. um but that would lead to characters feeling like they're in completely different movies um, and like varying degrees of quality. Brad Bird decided, no, each animator has one scene to focus on and they animate everything in that scene. And it kind of creates this, uh, they all learn from each other. And what he, he would have screenings, like of, he would screen everyone's like animatics for all of their scenes and then he would critique them publicly in front of everyone so it's like really brutal and stressful mm-hmm. and you know humiliating that sounds like a really so sorry I I, I was watching um, I was watching a VFX team an animation team talk about how they had uh, collaborated on the now there's a now infamous fan film called Spider-Man Lotus it basically got very viral and then imploded because it turns out that the director and the two lead actors were like 
racist. Um, <laughs> but the VFX team were like, oh, we did all this, all this work. We're going to show it off and talk about our process because they're all kids as well. But anyway, like the way that they collaborated was that they took all the different scenes and they'll pass it a lot. But it was more like a Gen Z uh, really like pat each other on the back. Oh, yeah. you really good job, man. Oh, I learned this cool stuff. Well, this seems like the fucking more like, you know, Gen X, boomer, <laughs> your what, piece of shit. Well, it just put, it pushes everyone to raise their game. Um, but also it means that when one animator is animating all the characters in this, in one scene, it, it, it uh, they feel like they're really uh, there together and yeah. they're actually reacting. You know, people say acting is reacting and it feels like each character is naturalistically reacting mm-hmm. to each other. So and, and how, does that, how does that work? Because the, the, the thing I read about was that um, the giant is CGI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I'm talking about the human characters. Yeah, right. so okay. There is, there is, like, you can tell in the beginning, especially there's some early CGI stuff, but I didn't think that the, the giant, mm. wow. It's beautiful. It's like, it's kind of pioneering. Well, the production of this film, the animation of this film is pioneering in several ways. This is the first time that so when you're when you make an animated film you you have your storyboards and usually you like you animate the story you make a video of uh the storyboards basically animated in a very basic way and it used to be you know as you'd imagine just cut from one storyboard frame to another but this is the first time where someone actually used after effects Mm. to animate like um static images yeah. and make them and give them depth and mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. um it's the first time someone had had actually ever made an animated storyboard that that looks and moves pretty well you mm-hmm. can really get a sense of the movie and yeah no disney had never done that before this is the first film that had done I, that. I, I was thinking while watching it on like the animation perspective like a couple of things is um one just like what we're losing as we move forward with animation is hand animation and the expressiveness that you can get out of that. Totally. You know, like everything with like mo capture and stuff that is so great, but you lose a kind of fluidity to it. Well, and know, exaggerated. And an exaggerated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like mm-hmm. a really good example of that because we still use hand animation, but in the Miss Marvel show um, online, there's this clip that's been going around where she's like dancing and it's a mixture of mocap and hand animation. And the thing is, is it doesn't gel. I mean, it's an right. amazingly good uh-huh. scene in, in terms of the technical skill, but there are some transitions where you see like perfect human motion turn into exaggerated fluid motion, yeah. then back to kind of more conservative human motion. Right. And it's just like such a perfect example of seeing what we had and mm-hmm. what we lost and what we're moving forwards with. The, the 2D, the traditional 2D animation in this movie is so beautifully done. And the, the reason they did the Iron Giant, um, the Iron, yeah, the Iron Giant, in CGI is because with C, it's very, very difficult to have a solid mm. like object and give the impression of three dimension, but like keep its shape and form while it moves. Yeah. It's very difficult to do that with hand-drawn. Um, it's much easier to just have it. They they made it in CGI completely, and then they had to tell the computer to like roughen it up mm-hmm. and like make mistakes mm-hmm. and to make it fit in. But I think is it gel. You can tell, but it 
it gels really nicely. I think you can only tell in some of the more dynamic shots. There were some shots where I was like, how did they do this? But then there are some like crazy hand animated, like hand drawn animated shots from like mm. the 60s and 70s. So I didn't like, that's, that's the thing. I didn't even question it too much. But that thing you were talking about, about how like, for me at least, the, the whole point, and it seems for Brad Bird as well, the whole point of animation is that it is an exact, it's a heightened reality. Yeah. It's an exaggeration. Like faces contort in ways that they can't in real yeah. life. And the ultimate, we talked about this before, like um, the ultimate uh, example of um, completely misunderstanding what's great about animation Are you is, talk is, about is the Zemeckis? no no the lion the lion king because <laughs> <laughs> like that movie is great because the characters or for many reasons yeah, but yeah. because the characters are so expressive yeah. and so individual yeah. and so why would you want to make that look photo real and make all the lions just look like ordinary lions so you can't tell them apart they have no expression yeah. it looks weird that they're talking yeah you know, like have you guys seen the deep fake of where they've taken the animated and deep faked it onto the remake what? i have not yeah. but i can't wait yeah, to yeah. see oh. that and the thing is right <laughs> it's honestly it boggled my mind because i was looking at it and i was like this is so much better <laughs> the thing is is you always like even though the lion king in terms of like the photo real nature of it was like it was pushing boundaries it looked amazing to an extent but like the eyes were still yeah. dead there was still this level of uncanniness mm. and then and the also moment... just like why yeah yeah, yeah of course of course <laughs> why well i mean the why is because they could yeah, um, right. but when they deep when they guy like jeff goldman that's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> you seen there's a YouTube. I can't, I can't do there's, the ten, there's ten yeah. hours of uh, Jeff Goldblum laughing Jeff, in Jeff in Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's it's like <laughs> too much, uh, too much <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. If if it's not um, if he's not Brundlefly, then um, I'm 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 okay with giving it a pass. Um, Animation. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, watch, watch, watch the deep fake because it is kind of crazy how quickly you accept the deep fake with the animated and the exaggerated eyes and the expressions yeah. and stuff um, over because it's side to side. You know, you're just like, well, this obviously is better, even though it looks nothing like a real lion. Yeah. You know, yeah. even though it's photo real mm. with the fur and everything. So while we're on, like, I'm um, just talking about the the virtues of hand-drawn animation and like expression of character um brad bird scene that brad bird chose to animate himself um and it's like the scene of the whole movie that he thought like that is the juiciest the most mm. fun to animate it's not one you would what do you think it would be can i guess yeah because yeah. because this whole talking about animation the one scene i was thinking of is hogarth trying to get Iron Giant's hand out of the bathroom oh, window. It's a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful scene. It's not the one. Is oh, it the one it's where a great he, scene. Is it it's the good. one? I love that. I, I was laughing a lot and I was like, oh, so, it was so tense. So and then they well. break in, he's on the toilet, yeah, and then yeah. she closes oh, the door in a hurry and slams and Ken's like, head in yeah. the door. Yeah, oh, yeah space. And the whole, like, get out of here, <laughs> Satan. <laughs> um, is it the scene where the where Hogarth gets the Iron Giant to bomb into the the again incredible scene beautiful mm. scene oh and the way that the waves yeah, yeah. That's uh, the wash why. Dean mm. away and then like he's submerged and then the wave like washed so beautiful 
No. Squirrel scene. The one scene. <laughs> it just starts to hate uh, Yeah, the squirrel. Oh my god. When he unzips his fly, yeah. everyone, I apologize in advance for yeah, this. Yeah, 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 so yeah. risque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's so Brad Bird as well, like the risque kind of adult nature. I, I was thinking about this actually. One of the first things I thought in that opening scene is like, there is no. Um, there's, there's no. Like, way that you would get away with that kind of adult. Or the adult humor. Know, yeah, adult humor. For and sure. Like, and, but the thing was, is like, so over I know Pixar do really well at like you know embedding things or having a bit of a wink at the camera or something but this just felt like a kid in an adult's world like stepping into an adult rather than it having to be like this hidden easter egg for the parents to make sure that they can get through the cinema trip you know oh for sure like, <laughs> like let's get back to like yeah what scene is like, scene? so the scene that yeah. Brad Bird like said, that's the one I've got to animate myself because, you know, I've got to be in the trenches with my animators, remind myself that I still do this, right? Is the scene when Hogarth uh, drinks coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and if you watch it, it's so beautiful. Mm. It's so expressive. Like the way, just watch his face yeah. in that scene going nuts. The moment you said that, I was like, yeah, of course, because yeah. so but it's like unassuming. On. You wouldn't, you would think of something much more spectacular or like, yeah. But an animator is like probably looking for that nuance rather than like the a huge explosion or you know an action scene. Like firing the Iron Giant off into space is like, I mean, that's a path. You know, yeah. especially like yeah. if you're doing like After Effects now, it's the path with like. But like Hogarth, like walking around in circles, like speaking so quickly and being really expressive and animated because he's just mm. drunk too much to express. That's exciting and fun. Yeah, Go going off into space isn't exciting and fun. I saw a brilliant tweet the other day that was like, the reason Marvel movies have got bad is because they don't appreciate the hierarchy of interesting action scenes. It goes. It goes guns, hand-to-hand, explosions, beams. Beams down the bottom. Mm -hmm. So guns are fun, hand-to-hand combat is fun, explosions are not quite as fun. Mm -hmm. Like, they they sound fun on paper, and energy beams is, like, the least fun. Yeah. No one's interested in energy beams. Totally. Yeah. I I agree with that hierarchy entirely. (laughs) Energy beams. I I saw, like, in terms of, like, I saw Predator at the cinema the other day. Although I put hand-to-hand above guns, though. Yeah, I personally would, too. yeah. Yeah. But but my thing about Predator was the you know the opening of Predator just explosions 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 yeah. and I was just like cause I hadn't seen the film mm. for ages and I was watching I was like oh my god this is so boring and then obviously after that it's then guns and then hand to hand combat by the end you're like yeah so, <laughs> yeah totally agree with that you go up the hierarchy in Predator mm-hmm. um, okay so I just want to go back to um, one of the things that Mel Cole impressed upon Brad Bird is study live action films study cinema and um try and emulate that and bring that Mm. and there are very this more than any other animated film um for me is like i see so much the influence of live action cinema particularly spielberg um and Mm. but just the way that it moves and cuts and camera angles and camera 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 movement they they pull like montage. depth of field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> depth of field. But there are montage sequences in this that feel like that you don't see that in animation. Mm-hmm. Like the one when um when Kent is it Mansley? Mansley. Kent Mansley when he's like tips. when he's oh my god. <laughs> no, the the, the, the montage when he's like um uh 
talking to he's trying to get information out of Hogarth. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's like, "How you doing, slick? How you doing, slugger?" and mm. all that. And the way that that is edited and shot, like that, feels like a live action film. I've never really seen that kind of a sequence in an animated film. Yeah. And the whole film moves like a Spielberg um, movie, and it looks like one. And uh, um, there's some just really incredible like lighting techniques in this as well, like particularly mm-hmm. with lightning and flashing mm-hmm. highlights of when it, it just looks incredible. When the Iron Giant is revealed with the lightning flash in the beginning, I was with like, the rain. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is a little bit like when uh, Michael Myers walks into the light. Uh, in the first Halloween film like yeah. he just like appears but that like character introduction was just so dramatic the, the outline and, yeah, yeah 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 and it what's was it, what's it the shape the shape the shape in, sorry in, yeah. in Halloween yeah they, they refer so to it's called the shape yeah oh Michael Myers yeah oh dear because he's just he's just a just a killing machine there's no motivation yeah. it's just no... a black silhouette yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's actually yeah it's kind of terrifying um but yeah, like the way that they introduce that character is it's fully dark and he takes one step forwards and then suddenly he's like lit. And it was like exactly that same technique, except instead of him stepping forward, it was more like the lightning. The is- lightning with the rain. Um, that, so, let, I mean, we can get into the movie. That opening scene with the, the fisherman who like is cra- crashes his boat and then sees the Iron Giant for the first time in the rain, the storm and all that so dark i mean it feels like it just instantly it feels like a like a movie oh and that's another thing like brad bird hates um like the fact that animation is distinguished like apart Mm -hmm. from like he's like no this is a film yeah this is a film that should be nominated for best film of you know, the shouldn't be best animated film. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. I mean, like, ha- the, like, like, yeah. like you say about you always say about like you you hate the idea of like heightened. Oh, elevated. Elevated. Horror. Yeah. yeah. Elevated uh, horror or elevated. Uh, you don't get. Sci-fi you don't. Or... You don't get elevated comedy. You know what yeah. I mean. You don't get elevated <laughs> drama. It's just because people look down upon things yeah. like horror or animation, and so they have to find a way of. Uh, justifying their enjoyment of it by saying oh you know the witch it's an elevated horror and it's like yeah, i mean it's, it's like, just a horror it's film. It's, <laughs> a, it's a horror but it's kind of intellectual yeah yeah, yeah. or like ariaster you can imagine someone pointing to this and saying it's like elevated it's it's animation but it's a proper film yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. that's in fact that's what people said right yeah. it's animated but it's a proper film but that's know? just like insulting it's, to the amount of like of work and effort that it goes into any God, any yeah. creative endeavor whether it's you know, like a period heritage drama or it's a horror film or it's a children's animation, you know, hundreds of people generally with big budget stuff have worked on that, right? And they're putting together a narrative story with a beginning, middle and an end, you know? Like who gatekeeps what is the appropriate story to to tell basically and what is Mm. acceptable for us to enjoy as like high art basically. Is Is my, you know... So the opening yeah. scene is just, it's like a dark, cold open. It's a cold open, right? Like yeah, for, yeah, yeah. It feels like a Spielberg. It feels like the opening of Jaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really does. Important side note on the first scene. I thought on my first watch that they didn't get any of the accents right because this is set in Maine. Maine, New England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and I thought, oh, they've all just got standard American accents. 
but all the non like like all the bit parts all the like background characters who are not the, not the principals are um have the correct accents Nah. For, for the area. Well, the so the fisherman, the is, crazy fisherman, is played by M. Emmett Walsh, um, oh. who is like one of my favorite character actors from the seventies. Um, he's in Straight Time with uh, Dustin Hoffman. He's in loads of stuff. Yeah. He's he's the guy in The Jerk who's like um, Naban R. Johnson. Sounds like a typical bastard. <laughs> like the guy. He, he like randomly puts his finger down in the phone book and, and like goes and tries to kill him. And, yeah. <laughs> Man, he's just a great actor. The, the the cast in this are incredible. I thought that Harry Connick Jr. was like very so like good. perfectly cast. I mean, to the point where I just like. I've not really. I can't say I've seen him in anything really, but he's just mm. great in this. Incredible performance. Do you, do you guys have Vin Diesel opinions? So, Vin Diesel, I mean, <laughs> uh, I know that like Vin Diesel got a break with Steven Spielberg and he got a small part in Saving Private Ryan and that's like, this was when his star was rising and that's how he got this movie. Mm. Um, but he, he was picked up by Steven Spielberg because Spielberg had seen a short film that Diesel had written, directed and starred in. And it's it's really good. Like if you want proof that Vin Diesel is actually a great actor, yeah, it's this film. And have you seen it? No, no I haven't. Right? Seen so it, the film is about being um, uh, kind of uh, <laughs> being Vin Diesel, like being a Hispanic actor in the '90s, uh, going from audition to audition, and like having to put up with the the stereotypical roles that you're given as a Hispanic actor. And he is Hispanic, right? So I was about to, I was just about to say, I was just about to question that because the big thing is like, um, in like the early noughties, people would joke that Vin Diesel was trying to be black and now he's trying to be Mexican. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he's mixed race. I don't know. He is mixed race. Yeah. yeah, I just don't know what the heritage is and it doesn't really matter. I vaguely remember reading his Wikipedia and him being like really cagey about it and no one actually knows okay like he, he much he, like tommy wazoo <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um no but the, with this short it's okay so regardless of his own heritage he was he was always Playing. he was always auditioning for hispanic roles or mm-hmm. like and it would always be the same kind of like very macho misogynist like sexist hispanic gangster character right and it's about this guy who's quite a sensitive, sweet, like actor who's just going from audition to audition. It's a really, it's a really good short. I think it's in black and white. Guess the name of the film. Like best title for a short film ever. Ooh. Starring Vin Diesel. It's called Multifacial. Wow. <laughs> you can oh. watch it on YouTube. It's great. I was gonna say how Triple X isn't a good. <laughs> for an action film because it sounds like a porno. Porno, yeah. But yeah, right. Multifacial. Oh, yeah. Boy. So Vin Diesel was picked up by Spielberg because of multifacial, and then he got <laughs> he got the Iron Giant, uh, and because I, I think Brad Bird was in with Spielberg as well. And Brad Bird is like very much, I think like Brad Bird is like the slightly darker Steven Spielberg. Yeah. In terms of his view on his outlook, like as well. Shadow Spielberg. Shadow Spielberg, yeah, for sure. I think anyway, that's... I think Spielberg has like a lot of like hope in uh, and 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 sentimentality, and sentimentality mm-hmm. yeah, which is like really hard to 
do like look at like Interstellar, which was written by Spielberg and then taken yeah. on by Nolan. And per- personally, I know lots of people like Interstellar, but it didn't work for me. Like Christopher Nolan is not good at that that um, that feel. Yeah, he's not good at feelings. <laughs> um, he's good at like artistic experimentation. Do you like and, AI? Do uh, I actually liked AI? I yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing is that's another example of a film traumatizing me as a child. <laughs> oh my god, that ending is so fucked up. Um, but just a quick thought about Vin Diesel, because um, like I was originally going to make a joke that this was his uh, best performance up until Groot, um, but then I thought that's like super unfair because actually like the Fast and Furious franchise is like ludicrously fun. Yeah, um, the Riddick. He's. Know, He's great in, um, like, Fast and Furious is, like, a really good remake of Point Break. Yeah, but, <laughs> like, it is, but it, like, it it evolved into a point where it's, like, a superhero franchise. Yeah, totally. With cars. But it's the absurd. thing that I always love about it is, like, you sit down and there's just, like, one white person. Or they're the bad guys. Like, yeah. there is no other franchise that has gone on for, like, ten films that stars all, like like a multi-racial cast totally. of majority people of color plus all this shit about family they're all and absolute like, heroes yeah yeah I, I just like anyway let's just, just get, wanted to let's say just that. get Cardi B and <laughs> get her in and she's like a CIA operative <laughs> yeah yeah fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but anyway we can do a Fast and Furious podcast um, yeah. later but what thoughts on Vin Diesel that. did you want to share um just that I thought it was really interesting this is like one of his earliest film roles and he's already getting like okay you're gonna be like the ridiculous voice deep throated yeah the the ridic- the ridiculous deep deep voice so it's, it's sort of like proto brute stuff this yeah. guy who hardly speaks and yeah kind of but it's, isn't it amazing how he can like I'm gonna laugh like give some praise to Vin Diesel but like both with Groot and the Iron Giant the fact that he can elicit so much emotion from the audience like at oh, the yeah, end of the first really- Guardians where he's like we are Groot and everyone in the audience is like (gasps) you know and we're like he has said nothing different yeah yeah (laughs) I I don't mean it disparagingly I think he's amazing at it I I think he's a great actor and uh, do you know like uh, do you know one one of Vin Diesel's personal rules about um, attire about clothing or lack thereof (laughs) no Vin Diesel, this is his rule that he sticks to. Vin Diesel only takes his shirt off in a Vin Diesel movie. Wow. He, Why? he won't take his shirt off if it's not like his movie that Why? he's produced. Because it's a special thing to see Vin Diesel's naked torso. Is it? Yeah. And this is a Vin Diesel movie, apparently, because the Iron Giant never wears clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so Iron Giant is naked the entire time yeah. around a vulnerable child. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> we have to reassess the Iron Giant. Okay, let's whip through the film. So we got this opening scene, the Iron Giant crash lands um, uh, in Maine, New England. And it's 1957, incidentally, the year that Brad Bird was born. Um, and uh, mm. and Sputnik has just been launched. The first like satellite USSR Cold War. People are terrified of nuclear warfare and the Russians. Mm. And um, uh, and then you've got this kid who's really excitable, curious, uh, adventurous. He's like the ultimate 
Spielberg kid, absent father. Mm-hmm. Father probably died in the Korean War. That I'm makes thinking. sense, yeah. Because yeah. it's a bit too late to be cold, Co- uh, like uh, a World, World War II. War II yeah. But he so. was a fighter pilot. But I love how it's never mentioned in mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just you just uh, get it from the fact that he wears his father's helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see a picture of him by a plane on his bedside yeah, table. Yeah. That's so it. cool, never mm. mentioned. But this is this is just something I want like that opening Beautiful scene. Storytelling. That yeah, the opening scene that introduces Hogarth was like so tightly scripted. It basically, uh, in terms of character development, like telegraphed all the important relationships and themes. Right, yeah. you know, it kind of established the fear of you know like Sputnik and the the Soviets and this kind of like oppressive thing. But then also you know you immediately get that Hogarth is like this lonely kid. You know, he's always bothering his mom with like the pets, but then he immediately like, he like he gets like bef- that. befriends the squirrel and yeah. it's, a, he's, it's a nightmare, but like he's just so full of like naivety and positivity, yeah. curiosity, mm-hmm. whereas all the townspeople are like frightened and afraid and yeah. paranoid yeah, and, exactly. and like suspicious mm-hmm. of difference. But the only person who, who like accepts him is, is Dean is the guy who owns the scrapyard freaking beatnik is a beatnik <laughs> yes and gives him and gives him like the 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 key thematic phrase of the movie is like yeah can, what is it you can only you be... can choose who yeah like who you want to be yeah and that you like, get to choose and i think like that like having that come from the dean character like that 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 beatnik who's so uh, representative of that kind of rebellious or like individualistic attitude of the time, like yeah. moving away from this whole like hoorah, we're gonna go to war and fucking. You're you're not what other people think you are, and yeah. if other people are afraid of you or think you're dangerous, that's their problem, yeah. and you don't have to be that. Mm-hmm. And I just love that that comes from this countercultural guy, and it's all about like the robot who's essentially a killer robot. Um, and this kid teaches him how to you don't have to be a weapon mm-hmm. like it's just beautiful that's nice so yeah and and he's got the coolest soul patch yeah <laughs> I love his like uh, it's like his stubble the as se- well. he's the sexiest cartoon yeah, character yeah, ever yeah. committed to film yeah. he's, uh, he's also a meme as, as, oh, yeah? as the podcast resident meme correspondent I can confirm that <laughs> D- Dean is a meme I think he's two memes actually um, just as, yeah, it's not a meaningful thing. It's just people like posting the picture of him with a cup of coffee going, ah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes total sense. It's just so cool, like yeah. chilled out. I love his, I love his bathrobe. I love yeah. Like, no, it's more of like a smoking jacket. It's like a kimono. Yeah, isn't a kimono. It? Yeah, because yeah, it's got the, the yin and yang at the back. just love that, like, his first kind of, like, character action is to defend the old guy who's saying, I saw a mm. iron giant. He's like, um, he said he pretends that he saw it too, and he's like, "Did you really see it?" He's like, "No, but we someone's got to stick up for the kooks." I'm yeah. like, "Yes, this is a great, mm, cool dude." Mm. And there's like that's just like immediately is playing his cards in terms of like you know don't judge yeah like, exactly yeah yeah like mm. it, love love this movie so much. I, I just felt like you know like as a kid like without being like uh, media literate in any way you would just absorb all of that and be like yeah of course you know what I mean like that's why it's so well written yeah because it's just everything is there in the first scene you know yeah beautiful Mm -hmm. Um, so then um, uh, Hogarth 
uh, goes home and obviously single mom, she's busy at work, she's at work. Because work. she works in a diner, so hospitality. Because it's yeah, the fifties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And everyone works everyone in a diner. diner. Everyone's mm. single mom works in a diner. Mm. And he goes home and watches a 1950s B-movie and I'm like, what? This is just such a it's fun incredible. exercise but the to pay is... homage to B-movies, like have a movie within a movie. Like, I just love movies within movies, yeah. you know, mm. kind of like in... Um, oh, uh, Home Alone, yeah. like such a great angels with dirty faces. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it took and me up until like maybe five, six years ago before I realized that wasn't a real movie. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, it's so beautiful. Mm. And the same in this, mm. like the like it's some yeah. like what's it, com- it called? It the completely, brain? it completely passed me by on the first watch, and only the second watch. It's like I realized how hilarious it is. It's so movie funny. in the background going. I've got well, the the, the the porpoise communicates telepathically, <laughs> and he's like, I forgot my. I cope. I need to go back into the office, and there's like a killer brain yeah. that's going to attack him. I just, I just love the attention to detail and like the stilted action mm. and the kind of like shitty camera angles, or you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it, like the the film within a film, even though it's animated and it could be totally perfect, is not. It's so it's, well observed. Yeah, it's just exactly. a beautiful homage to a fifties B movie. Um, and so, but then like the the TV like fuzzes out. And there's interference, and I think he like hears a, a commotion or something. So he puts on his father's um, like a flight helmet, and he gets a BB gun, and he ties uh, a, a torch, torch to, to it. it. Yeah. And it's just so like um, inventive and innovative. My thing about when he did that though yeah. is uh, I was looking at it, I paused it. And I was like, the way that it's been taped to the gun, if he ever fired that gun, it would ricochet straight back into his face. <laughs> right, the, yeah, the yeah, torch yeah. Is the torch the is in the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's like, that's a direct, like, but not like obvious, but like, it, it's very Ripley and Aliens yeah, when yeah, she yeah. straps the, course, the torch course, yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then he goes out to look for this thing and he sees the Iron Giant for the first time, the reveal. Um, and terrifying reveal, terrifying and reveal, and it's it's like feet when it's chasing after him. It looks exactly like Luke Skywalker running from the ATAT mm-hmm. in the Battle of Hoth in Empire Strikes mm. Back. It's just like the same kind of. They probably mechanics. they probably use that as like live action reference, right? Yeah, I'm sure. Because like that would have been well, the best example of of running away from that. I mean, like I was, the highest example. I was wondering like when to bring this up, but like this movie is for, it's it's a beautifully written like perfect story in its own right. It comes from a deeply personal place of this guy that wants to make a film about gun violence and like an anti-war film that's based on incredibly traumatic personal experience. So that is perfect in its own right. But it, it's also the, the perfect collection of cinematic touchstones that, that resonate with people. And I've got a list here. Um, because, so you've got E.T., like a child makes, befriends uh, something from outer space. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the outside world think it's dangerous, but he knows it's good. And it, it proves it out in the end. Oh, wow. You've got Jaws. Um, small town under mm. threat from a like a, a, a monster, and I, I just love films about communities mm. and a community's reaction to something. Close Encounters, I mean, 
it's just Spielbergian like but even even stuff like this movie's got lens flare in it yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, got yeah. like the Janusz Kaminski type like light pools that's Steven Spielberg's cinematographer not for Close Encounters but like more yeah, recently yeah, yeah, yeah. and just it looks like a Spielberg movie or a J.J. Abrams who's ripping off Spielberg yeah, movie yeah, yeah. like Super 8 yeah. has taken so much from this I, movie I, I loved I loved Super 8 I loved but that Super was 8. just like a pure nostalgia exercise and going if only Spielberg made movies like this still yeah, you know right, what I mean right. like, and it was pitch but perfect Super 8 but... like takes like wholesale takes stuff from this yeah. because this it was so sense. successful yeah. but like Terminator 2 like uh, a boy a child um, <laughs> has the power over a killer robot yeah, yeah, yeah. and it always it reminds me watching this reminds me like of them getting to know each other the buddy scenes reminds me of the scene when John Connor um, learns that he's got power over the Terminator and um, he he's like put, you, put stand on one leg and all yeah, that yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, the yeah. gang come along and he's like t- um, what is it like t- kick the shit out of this guy or something yeah, yeah, yeah. and like he picks him up and I, and I remember that in that scene, it's like when he says, dipshit, you call moi a dipshit. And I'm like, whoa, I'm watching an adult movie because the word shit has been said, but it's been said by a kid. This is like dark. But anyway, I'm, I'm running away. Like Terminator 2, just the idea of being a child and having control over a killer robot. Like very yeah, resonant. Yeah, yeah. Superman, obviously, like because Superman is the touchstone, the Iron Giant. Um, learns like I can be a force for good mm-hmm. I want to be like Superman King Kong but also like with Superman Superman is an alien who falls out of the sky totally. gets taken in by a human and is taught, taught human, human values, values. and yeah. that is exactly the, the core origin story of the Iron Giant Bambi mm-hmm. like the, oh, the, yeah. the deer being shot and him learning about like mortality mm-hmm. and uh, war of the worlds like infinite like you know um uh, 50s like yeah. sci-fi theme. it's just all these touchstones of things that growing up in the 90s you would have seen and they would have resonated with you and now it's all together in this mm. one beautifully crafted animated film I, so this, this is like this is like a more finessed more thought through version of Ready Player One mm. <laughs> in a way yeah and which is funny because then Spielberg, Spielberg used the Iron Giant in Ready Player One and it's like it's so annoying so they, tasteless yeah because the, the Iron Giant is like a war machine in, uh, in Ready Player have you seen Ready Player One yes yeah, so, so, so much there's, 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 just quickly the other thing that annoyed me about <laughs> the fucking Iron Giant in, in Ready Player One is like originally uh, in the book, which the book is very problematic in like gender, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> ways. But let's let's not get into that. But in terms of a pure nerd aspect, he has to go through this whole like trial to get like a giant robot, and like they're doing, you know, they're in like Gundams and actual war machines from yeah, 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 yeah. things, you know, and and it was just like, oh no, we're just gonna chuck in the Iron Giant because. Western audiences or whatever are going to be. This is the giant robot that they know, you know, and it makes no narrative sense. Yeah. Instead of going, I, I like to say that like um, Ready Player One is like paying money to go to a like a theater and watch Steven Spielberg like break his own rib cage so that he can bend over and fillet himself mm. in front of everyone, and you, just, you watch Steven Spielberg 
sucking himself off for two hours. But like not but not even <laughs> sucking himself off well. That's the <laughs> um, have, you, have you guys read the book? I haven't. I'm internet aware enough to have read the main bits. But like the thing, the thing also, what I mean by like he's not even sucking himself off well enough is like He's, he's like approached it in a way that is kind of uh, showing his age a little bit. Because in the book, like as the kid upgrades his equipment, things go from looking like a video game to being real. You know what right. I mean? Because oh, as cool. he has more expensive equipment, so having all the things like them having like these avatars and stuff like that, that was never because like you go to school in the book, they go to school in the Oasis and all that other oh. kind of stuff. You know, it is replaced because of dystopia it has replaced everything. You got to work, and so people can go with these skins of being monsters and everything. Yeah. But most people just kind of look like more handsome versions that of themselves. That whole movie is just the most obnoxious character just saying, look at all my yeah. shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. so annoying. It, it, it is. And the book and also, is definitely like, that as well. It, but but also, also, it like it presents itself like some kind of utopia, um, like a, a completely horizontal, um, fair society where anyone can have an opportunity to mm. win, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, But it's got... Um, uh, so much nepotism in it. Favoritism. Favoritism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So nepotism therefore, it's 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 not at all like equal opportunities for all because you have to be buddies with this guy who got the key first or whatever. But I guess I guess the thing with that is like the big bad in that film is a corporation and they have loads of money and have hundreds of yeah. people and then it becomes the whole clan thing which is going into game of culture and now we've got half uh, an hour left. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Really no, we don't need on. to be talking about <laughs> Ready Player One. So the kid, he's now seen the Iron Giant. Um, Hogarth has seen the Iron Giant. Um, oh yeah the atomic holocaust he's in class the atomic holocaust video teaching kids in school to hide under their tables is so funny and so dark and it's like again like how is this a kids movie Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like when it comes up it says atomic holocaust it's so funny (laughs) that that was another thing that I was thinking of when I was thinking about the opening scene like kids acting like kids or like adult and and adults Mm -hmm. acting like adults in a kids film but the thing that I was thinking about that specifically is like and I'm going to ask you a question you guys a question after this but like that kind of stuff would have been in I guess uh, like generational memory right yeah mm. and also like the idea of sitting down at school and watching psas and stuff the thing is is like over especially like the last 20 years like the way that we consume media has like accelerated and like you know we don't really trust media in the same way so do you think sitting down a bunch of kids and showing them a a psa would really assist anything so we probably don't do that anymore in the same way um but that means that we start losing this reference point to something mm-hmm. yeah. right so so like nowadays like you know a kid who was born five years ago you like a common down. reference point yeah a common reference point yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like we all saw the same I mean I, I didn't I can't remember too many PSA videos I mean but I remember you know sex ed class where you know put, you put the condom on the banana it's yeah 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 it's, it's a similar yeah, thing yeah. yeah I mean for me I remember the uh, this is your brain on drugs video from like the early noughties right. or late night mm. where they like crack an egg and then fry the egg and they go this is your brain oh, on drugs oh wow you know I didn't get that one but I mean <laughs> I, once again I yeah. lived in the I States I got a bunch so. of them and I don't remember I don't remember any specific ones but, I but our parents them. would have watched these mm. videos that, but I mean, th- 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 there are staples in 
like this this feels exactly like the ones in the simpsons the simpsons yeah. ones are masterclass they're amazing yeah <laughs> oh my god i'm trying to blur yeah yeah and 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 like well think again jimmy yeah. <laughs> yeah. you won't be able to murder yourself with a gun if you don't have zinc <laughs> come back zinc <laughs> brilliant <laughs> so, so um he's obsessively drawing the iron giant ignoring this video Mm. And like he's talking about it, and someone someone says, "Shut up, you spaz," <laughs> which I'm like, that would not pass in a movie nowadays, oh, let alone a kids' yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then that's that's also interesting because oh, just a, a quick like thing. Do you think like uh, sometimes uh, the sanitation of I guess like kids back in the 50s probably did use that Absolutely. language you know what mm, I mean yeah. and like, let's whether, be honest let's be it. honest about yeah. it I, I mean like maybe it wouldn't be great to introduce kids to that like maybe it is and have a conversation with them and say yeah. you know this movie was set in the 50s uh, they use this language you shouldn't repeat that word and then from an early age the kid understands the ethics of using that language instead of stumbling upon it as a teenager and thinking they're edgy and cool mm. Just, just, just thinking, like you yeah, know. that's. I mean, a whole debate that we could get into. But let's move on. Because, <laughs> my question, and this is very directly uh, refer, um, into in terms of the film. When, because the scene after this is when uh, Mansley comes around and the hand scene that well, we were yeah. discussing, right? Well, oh, but yeah. I, I, do you re- did you recognize what the hand was watching on TV? Oh, oh man, what was it? I don't know. No. What was it? Tomorrowland. What? Yeah. You haven't seen Tomorrowland, have no, you? No, I haven't. I, I actually haven't seen Tomorrowland. I quite like Tomorrowland. Wait, so it's like Tomorrowland if it was made in the 50s? Yeah, it's like he's watching, like, you only see the end bit of it, and it comes up on the screen, the title card, Tomorrowland. Amazing. And then I was just like, well, that, you know, obviously it's been in his head. That's cool. <laughs> for years. Okay. <laughs> but right. yeah, anyway, I really wanted to get that out. Okay, so... Hogarth has discovered the Iron Giant. Enter Kent Mansley, aka Christopher McDonald, aka Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. <laughs> okay, e- what? evil um, Kyle McLaughlin and Twin Peaks. Yes, yes. That's, oh man, great actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and such an incredible character, like the um, ultimate Cooper, Agent Cooper. Agent Dave, Cooper, Dave, evil Dave, Agent Dave, Cooper. Yeah, yeah. But he's got a pipe. He's got a smoking pipe. And yeah. He's got a jacket. He's like a G-man. Um, love this character. And he's the perfect like synthesis mm. of like cowardly, egotistical, fearful, like fear-mongering, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. paranoid 1950s mm. G-man. He's just great. And he uh, is one of the many Brad Bird villains with red hair. <laughs> oh, is that a thing? Red Bird has a lot of red-haired villains. Interesting. <laughs> you mentioned it. Well, yeah, The Incredibles. Yeah. Um, so, oh, and what we completely skipped over, like that, um, when Hogarth first met the Iron Giant, he was about to eat a um, what do you call it? Like an electricity. Mm-hmm. What do you call that? It's power, it was a power station. It was a power station. Power station. He gets trapped in the pylons. He gets trapped in the pylons, electrocuted. And that bumps his head, which means that he forgets momentarily, like, he forgets temporarily that he's a killer robot. Mm. And it, that opens up the window of opportunity for he to, him to become like, self-aware and 
not immediately want to kill everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, because as it's revealed in a deleted, a fantastic deleted scene that you can watch on YouTube, there's actually a scene that reveals, um, it's like a flashback, a dream sequence of the giant, and he remembers that he is a killer robot who destroys worlds, and that, mm. and there's like whole armies of iron giants who just destroy planets. In the, in the film, mm. there's only, well, I watched the signature edition, but you only saw like, uh, in the version I watched, you saw the armies marching, and then, oh, it, cool. would, and then it would cut. There mm. wasn't like a huge thing. But it just like a couple of shots. Oh, cool! There's in. a whole deleted scene um, uh, where he has a dream sequence. It's fantastic. It, I guess it would. Say, I'll have to watch that. But I guess from thinking about it and what you're saying, that they would have cut certain bits and then just dropped that in as he, yeah. as he, you know, his eyes go red and stuff. But anyway. So Hogarth and he are friends. Um, but one day they happen upon a train track and he starts trying to eat the train track. But then Hogarth is like, a train is coming. You've got to fix it. And there's that beautiful scene that's so tense when he's bending the train track back and trying to put it together before the train comes. And that moment when he's a perfectionist and just mm -hmm. trying to line up the rail yeah, yeah. is so tense. unbearably tense because yeah. he takes <laughs> just that little bit more time to do it and you're just like, God, it's nearly here. Train crashes. J.J. Uh, Abrams completely rips it off in Super 8. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, but then, and that crashes into the giant which blows him apart. The first question I'm thinking is, well, what about the fucking driver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think he was fine. He just he had a fine. little bandage around his head. He was fine. You could hear him calling out. And then the giant puts himself back together and the mechanics of how his arms like interlock are a combination of R2-D2 and the Terminator, like when <laughs> the Terminator opens up his arm and you see all the pistons, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just such beautiful mechanics and where they swivel together and all that. It's just like when R2-D2 like, you know, sticks his thumb in a panel or something. Such great animation, mm -hmm. such great ideas. And then there's the whole bit when he's trying to hide the giant and he hides him in a barn that they conveniently have. Why do they have a barn? I thought she... Well, she works in a diner. They have a barn. It's the 50s. Right. <laughs> well, we, we have no idea what, um, what her husband did before he was drafted. He was a farmer war. before he was in the, in the Air Force. Yeah. Okay. So he's hiding in the barn, but the hand is still astray. And so you've got... And, oh, there's another thing. Um, a thing from from uh, the Adams family. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. Like, a hand that's alive. It's just such a fun and somehow such a cinematic thing. But that whole that But whole it's clearly scene. a dog as well. That is like... Yeah. 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 It wags its tail and still trots oh, around. Oh, man. That's such a one beautiful of the, sequence. One of the perfect scenes in the mm. movie. Yeah, is, and he's trying to hide funny. it. It's tense. I'll say um, grace, and he's mm. like trying to say grace, but he's also trying to tell the hand to get out of here, so he's like, get out of here. And Satan. there's increasing stakes, right? Oh, First no. the authority figure is his mother, and then the authority figure is the government representative, the, Ken yeah, Mansley. Ken Mansley, you know? and he's trying to hide it from both of them, and then there's the whole bit when he, he's in the toilet, and... Um, He's like, he's grunting to try and push the hand out the window and it sounds like he's constipated. Just yeah. perfect. great, weird, weird perfect joke. sequence. But after that, when he, when all that's done, he goes down to the bar and he introduces uh, the Iron Giant to Superman, the comic books. Yeah, 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 yeah. I bet just at the end of that sequence, I just wanted to add that John Mansley, there's a moment when he like condescends him as a kid and he's like, oh, let me, uh, you know, he's investigating... Um, and he talks down to him and he said, he gives him his hat mm. and says, 
here, pretend you're a gangster. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was such an interesting thing, you know, for a government agent to be like, oh, I'm not taking you seriously as a child. Pretend to be a gangster, which is what you fucking are, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. Well, there's, there's two elements there in film history, I guess, like, um, and, and just polit- American political history, is that the, um, in like, I guess the 40s and early 50s, gangster films were like really big like Warner Brothers was like churning out gangster films and then as like uh, the mythology of the G-Men and the FBI Mm -hmm. kind of like grew suddenly by the 50s the big cinematic thing was it flipped suddenly the gangsters weren't Mm. the the main guys it was the G-Men hunting down the gangsters so this is something I really really wanted to talk about that this has in common with my uh, other favourite movie of all time Terminator 2 (laughs) where they, they both have in common this is a movie this might betray my interests at the moment, but this is a, this is a movie about dads. Yeah, totally. This is a dad movie. Oh yeah, but, and they're both dad movies. I mean, with all no great dad. movies are dad movies. Right? Yeah, but th- th- this is a dad <laughs> movie with no Mr. dad. Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. Oh no, it's not Mister Nobody. It's Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. Oh right. yeah, that is. So that was my bad. That is the the height of dad mm. movies watch it okay. <laughs> watch okay. it okay. come back to me right. <laughs> honestly it is literally this is a movie where every character is trying to like figure out who the, who their dad is yeah and and there is a child at the center of the movie yeah. just like in Terminator 2 and in this who is dadless who is looking for a dad and trying to find dad in all these other characters in the movie yeah um, and they're all sort of They've all got aspects of it and all sort of failing. But also, and like, he is being a dad to the Terminator as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And he's, yeah, and he, it turns out by the end, the, the yeah, sort of the, the development is he was the dad all along. Is <laughs> <laughs> the, the trick. Love but um, what Ken Mansley does is brilliant because there's this whole scene with him trying to make friends with Hogarth because yeah. Hogarth knows where the monster is. Yeah, and, and, and be a father to yeah. him. Yeah. So he's, he's doing all the wrong father stuff. Yeah. He's doing all the sort of the the accoutrement of fatheriness of fatherhood. He's doing all the trappings, calling him sport and saying, "Hey, why hey, slugger! Well, hey, slugger! Yeah. Uh, hey, how's it going?" And just, but also clearly doesn't give a shit about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's clearly using totally. Him. We we should say that like one of the main reasons we started doing this podcast is because we both love, absolutely adore, maybe my favorite podcast, uh, Sarah Marshall. Um, and what's Alex. his name? Hello, Alex, Alex Steed. Steed. <laughs> Hello, Alex Steed. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Um, uh, uh, why are dads? And um, are you familiar with that? The, the, the Why Are Dads no. podcast? It's called, it's called You Are Good now, but it used to be called Why Are Dads. And, and it's, it's they call uh, it a feelings podcast about movies. And it's just, um, and they, it started out like where they would talk about relationships with dads and and all their feelings about their fathers uh, through the prism of movies that Mm -hmm. they love Mm -hmm. and then it just turned into a podcast called You Are Good named after Young Frankenstein Mm. You Are Good Um, and they just it's just a beautiful podcast about like all about feelings that films bring up Mm. Um, 
anyway, like we don't have too much time left, but um, final, final yeah, Terminator Two thought. Oh yeah, go on. What, is you, what you reminded me, you talked about this inversion of like the gangsters being the main oh, characters yeah. in movies. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing that happens here and in Terminator Two. Like the, the bad guy here is the FBI. Yeah, the, the guy from the FBI. The bad guy in Terminator Two is a cop. Yeah. That's just, oh, yeah, of course. Like, why well, he's at least pretending to be a cop. I mean, such a beautiful it's image a of to protect and to serve. Yeah. It's like Robert it's Patrick. A, it's a complete... Have you inver- seen this boy? Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a complete inversion of, like, like this guy in leathers and the sunglasses, who we know is the bad guy from the first mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, yeah, and he's the counterculture yeah. in the leather. Yeah. He's a biker. And, and, this, and this guy who's a cop, who, you know, audiences presumably are gonna interpret as okay this is a good guy right yeah he's particularly the, in the 90s with yeah. like law and order yeah he's gonna he's gonna yeah. help and then it's complete inversion of uh, yeah that whole it's also another perfect that you, movie. like generally would see after 9-11 once mm. again that's like what i was saying at the beginning like this film hits home more now than it did when mm. it was released because i mean the 90s like yeah the clintons yeah there were scandals but i mean it was like you know it wasn't like insurrection in the capital. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. that kind of thing. And I'm not downplaying any of what happened during the Clinton presidency, <laughs> yeah. um, but that's a complicated issue. I'm just saying, you know, it, things were a little bit more safe. People trusted authority a little bit more. It was mm. unusual to have a person in a position of authority play the bad guy, especially when it was a nostalgic piece of the 1950s when they were usually the good guys. Yeah. And yeah. now it hits home a bit more because we're like, uh, do we trust cops? So, <laughs> hiding the hiding the robot sequence mm-hmm. ripped off by Michael Bay and Transformers. Eight yeah. later. <laughs> Which is actually, like, the first half of the first Transformers movie is actually, like, a good movie, yeah, yeah. I think. Like, I, I, I would argue the first movie is an enjoyable popcorn flick, but yeah. I'm for second one on, and then it... Um, anyway. And then, like, Hogarth, like, needs to find a place to hide the giant, and he figures out that Dean, not only being the coolest, sexiest beatnik in the world... Like, he's an artist who makes art out of junk, and he mm-hmm. runs a junkyard. Oh my god, this guy's so cool. And Hogarth is like, great, the Iron Giant can live there and, and eat all the metal he wants. Goes to meet Dean, and um, he wants to prove how adult he is by, like, how he drinks coffee. Also ripped off by J.J. Abrams in Super 8. Like, mm-hmm. the, the pretentious film director yeah, character, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. drinks coffee. Um, and this is the scene that Brad Bird wanted to... Um, uh, animate himself and this is the scene the one scene in this movie that demonstrates for the first time because this is Brad Bird's first animated feature um, the thing that Brad Bird becomes famous for which is being a Randian um, as an Ayn Rand uh, objectivist Oh. Like someone who <laughs> the well, mood I, in the room changed yeah, right. <laughs> this is what I thought Maybe you would have some thoughts on because you're a big Brad Bird fan, and but you must have mm. like grappled with this on the internet. Uh, yeah, I I really like The Incredibles, and I feel weird that it's it's got this whole subtext of like oh some people are just better than others, and yeah, and and like society is suppressing the talents of mm. these like superior beings, and like people like like Brad Bird kind of believes in exceptionalism and that he is exceptional and he should be allowed to 
and anyone who's like got great touched by greatness mm. as kind of like the, the the whiplash thing yeah yeah you yeah. know um mm-hmm. so and my, my, my immediate uh cinematic um individual i always think about uh like anorang would be um zack snyder right oh right yeah, for you know? sure yeah, yeah. and like he was even going to do uh, the adaptation of the fountainhead which i always thought would just be like a ripped mm. topless man like you know <laughs> doing the architecture and stuff <laughs> I mean, I just want to, I brought this up because this is like, I was wondering like, where is the, uh, where is the Randy and exceptionalism going to come in, in this movie? And it's in this one scene yeah. because he's drunk all the coffee and he's talking about how much better he is than all of his classmates. Yes. Yes. And he's talking about, it's not my fault that I, that they didn't do the homework and I did. Yeah. And like, I, they would just need to do the homework and then they could be skip. They could be up a grade as well. And that exactly. Was also, just yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of the writing, just quickly. I was um, like, yes, he got it in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of the writing, it also gives you some more um, information about Hogarth. You know that he's the youngest in his class because he's a mm. whole year younger. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so but like, just to be, I don't, I don't want to say that Brad Bird is Randy and I don't think that he believes he is. And I think there's a lot of discourse online. Some people accuse him of being that and there are plenty of defenders. And um, I, there's, I think there's a really good essay by... David Sims. David Sims write a good writes a good essay, like grappling with this stuff, um, but also defending Brad Bird and saying he's not that. I, I, I like the one thing that I would like to say because like I, I disagree with her writing and her perspective and her philosophy. But the thing is, it's... K.K. Rowling isn't that bad. Is she? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you read the blurb of her new book, J.K. Yes. Rowling? Yeah. Oh, anyway, oh, just, wow. Yeah. Uh, something else to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. oh. Hopefully that shit never gets adapted. <laughs> um, but Anne, like Anne Rand, like the thing about her was that you know, like people like Henry Kissinger liked her, and you know, it became so intertwined into our culture that like, even if Brad Bird wasn't like a Randian philosopher or someone who like really actually believed in that stuff, it's likely that you still absorb some of those thoughts when it is presented mm. to you you know so totally yeah so indelibly in our culture but also when you are he, he's clearly a very bright very talented yeah like ex- mm. he's an exceptional talent um and it yeah he's famous for being impossible to work with mm-hmm. um <laughs> but he he creates a, amazing films the thing that i'd say because i didn't like uh when i watched that scene once again like i was like a super shy withdrawn kind of kid who didn't have too many friends who did the homework who was the kid who was up Mm. a grade you know i was the youngest in my class and i got bullied to shit and i was like that to me that scene i was like yeah I felt it as an adult. I just like went back to being like nine years old, yeah. and I was like, "That it was me, basically." So <laughs> let's move on to the next bit. So Dean meets the Iron Giant, right? Dean meets the Iron Giant, agrees to um, keep him in his scrapyard. Um, I love the reactions, by the way, when Dean in <laughs> meets the Iron Giant. Oh man! Oh, and when like. Hogarth just says, yeah, he really needs somewhere to stay. And Dean just stands up and silently walks away and closes the door. What I love is that 37 minutes later and Hogarth is still outside like, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
sense. It's great. <laughs> but um but yeah, that's when Dean imparts the wisdom. Like his he's all like um Hogarth is like concerned about like what his classmates think of him or something mm-hmm. like that. And and Dean just says, um uh you are what you choose to be. Mm. And that's like the message of the movie. Um, he's a really interesting character to me because I, I, I spent the movie looking for who the dad was and he's sort of a good dad. Oh, he's definitely he's, a dad. Yeah. But he's, he's not great. Like, he doesn't want to... He doesn't really like looking after this kid. He doesn't want to look after the No, but the he's monster. got like great Big chemistry junk. with his mum and I love how... This is a kids' movie. It's never explicit, mm. but you know they're fucking. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> great. Of course, it's yeah. just incredible yeah. chemistry. That was one of the deleted scenes, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, or like, uh, like the like the sex scene in uh, Team America. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Best sex scene ever. Um, no, but um, like just a little, like really nice flirtation. Great mm-hmm. writing. Like when she recognizes, like she appreciates his art. And she she recognizes that the way that they've dressed up the Iron Giant, mm-hmm. um, it, it's not quite. It feels slapped on. It's not quite in fitting with what you do. It's such great flirtation but and it's appreciation the, it's of the each other. The next line as well, where she's like, "Oh, you know, I'm kind of okay with Hogarth spending, uh, you know, all this time here." Or you know, now I know where Hogarth runs off to. And then he's just like. Uh, he, he confirms it uh, and goes how did you know about that and she's like well I do now you know what I mean and it's like yeah. that entire like, <laughs> beautiful yeah, flirtation yeah, yeah. and then just at the end of the movie I think like they say something like they call each other darling or something they kiss each other They're they together. do kiss but it's just so casual yeah. and there's no like wedding bells or anything yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just like they be fucking. Yeah. But honestly, like, it's, it's, so in terms of him not wanting to be a dad, but if you compare it to like Kent Mansley using all the speech, mm. being like slugger, yeah. this, that, and the yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes down to it, when it comes push comes to shove, Dean is there. And not even yeah, push yeah. comes to shove. He's not being forced into it, but he, he does genuinely want to be there, but he's also his own person. He isn't his dad, but you know, he, he obviously cares for this kid that he's going to get on his motorcycle and fucking, you know, yeah. do all that. He's going to mm. chase after him. He's going to try and save him. You know, like these are things. Good fucking dude. Yeah. So mm. I love that. Like, it's really funny. It's such a boyish thing. It's all very boys will be boys kind of with, with Hogarth. But I like that, like one of the, in terms of play, like when he's playing with the Iron Giant, one of the first things, his instinct, his first instinct is not to play war, Mm -hmm. but he's like, what would be really fun? Well, but what's quite funny is that um, he says, because Dean is getting the Iron Giant to help him build all his art. And and then then (laughs) Hogarth is just like, it's so undignified (laughs) to make this, like a, a figure of such power and destruction like to make it like having making art it's undignified that's really just so funny and so little boy but it's and then also he's like what would you do with them and his first idea isn't to play war but is to make the ultimate roller coaster ride and like have him yeah. in the cadillac spinning around the best like yeah. feeling the g's it's, it's so, so funny that, that scene i really enjoyed but then uh yeah so arts and crafts is undignified um and then uh meanwhile just like a real movie and not a typical animated movie 
you've got a really great track by the coasters searching while <laughs> um while uh, uh mansley is looking yeah, yeah, like yeah. for the iron giant it's like yes a montage sequence with an actual like a banger like a really good track <laughs> but also what like what, a real movie what what's intercutting with mansley uh investigating like what's happening to him what what is his real struggle while he's investigating who oh <laughs> well because Hogarth has like has poisoned him with um, has, has, spi- has spiked him with uh, laxatives yeah oh, man I was just so good the moment that happened I was like Hogarth you genius but also um, I just wasn't expecting it yeah <laughs> I just honestly wasn't expecting it. and, and so he it's like a searching montage great musical track he's looking he's like investigating but he's also every now and again needing to take a shit <laughs> and there's a great sequence there's so much like really tasteful hiding of risque material mm-hmm. like yeah. releasing the squirrel from Dean's crotch at the beginning like beautiful framing of just the two legs and yeah. the squirrel falling between them and in, in this one like just cut to a bush and then Mansley like lift raising up from behind the bush and pulling his trousers up it's so funny but do you think these things um uh kind of elevate um this into being like such a classic because you can grow with it if you know what i mean yeah recognize more things like watching it now in my 30s versus watching it when i was like 10 yeah uh I get the same enjoyment, but different enjoyment, you know, because I'm recognizing. The thing is that the, the adult stuff in this is not innuendo mm-hmm. and it's not a cheekily hidden yeah. joke. Yeah. Here's one for the adults. Yeah. It's just, it's just there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, Part of the world. And that's what, that's what I'm getting at. Like, you know, when I was watching, I don't know, some of the Pixar films, Pixar films are great, but they do do that, especially like the Cars films, where it's like, here's one for the adults, you know? Yeah. And watching them as an adult, and like, cool but that doesn't make me want to watch this film if you know what i mean like having that one joke to make me chuckle it's like it's like it's approaching the entertainment as if the adult is forced to be there in like modern exactly. contemporary children's yeah, films yeah, yeah. You rather know, than something you, know you can enjoy I as learned, a family I, what i learned like maybe a couple of weeks ago there's an oj joke in shrek 2 oh, yeah. that i completely oh, yeah, missed yeah, yeah. sure yeah, yeah. like like surprise there's a bit where he's riding away on a horse and like the, the, like a news yeah, helicopter chase scene. and yeah and like a, oh, a, a news right. report is following oh. him and saying he's getting away on a white bronco oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's quite funny I mean, it's, like, like, it's that's so, so fucking dark but the thing yeah. is I guess once again if it is so in the zeitgeist right it was the most highly popularised kind of trial kind of mm. works and Shrek isn't, oh, isn't the best okay I've got a question for you both yes is there any subliminal meaning to be derived from the fact that I think twice, definitely twice, maybe even three times, Dean, the countercultural beatnik, hides behind a newspaper. He's got his head buried in the news all the time. Mm. But surely, like, why would a beatnik be interested in the news? Because the news is just propaganda, right? He keeps burying his head in the newspaper. But then, do you think, like, I don't know, Dean seems like the kind of guy who... Switched on, up to date. Yeah, he's switched on, he's up to date, but he's also, as much as he knows his place in that small town and in that society, and doing things, like, he doesn't 
have to go to the diner to drink coffee by himself he's got coffee at home but like mm. by presenting this image by being part of the community even if he's one of the kooks mm. you know doing things like reading the newspaper is normal like these little elements like I don't know I'm mm. completely just spitballing here but that's kind of what I felt from this character yes he's on the outside yes he's a beatnik yes he like doesn't believe the government and blah 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 but, but he still also, wants to engage yeah he still wants to engage and he still he's wants to be part of something yeah, yeah. maybe it's just a thing that people did yeah. maybe we don't really get it because we I mean we don't because now do we can't we anymore. can't and we don't do newspapers anymore and we can't trust them anyway yeah, <laughs> but, yeah exactly but if, if, like, if, if, if you wanted to you know establish that someone is sitting around doing not much they'd probably be on their phone that's yeah, true that's exactly. true nowadays yeah. Dean would be on his phone and yeah. also you got to think like this was widely mass published stuff that you could mm. get really cheap Nowadays, what we can get in London is the Evening Standard or Metro for free, and yeah. you don't pick that shit up anyway because it's propaganda. Yeah. And then anything that you would want to read is now like three quid, and you're supposed to pay that every single day for yeah. something throwaway. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work. So anyway, that's that's my answer. All right. So um, now this is the scene, one of the most heart wrenching scenes, when the giant learns about mortality and death, and uh, when he like falls in love with the deer it's beautiful and then the deer is shot and killed um originally um uh in reference to frankenstein Mm -hmm. um it was the giant who was supposed to accidentally kill the deer oh that's way too dark well yeah but but that's what frankenstein Mm. does and he learns about Mm. mortality but they were so stuck with it it was because we've got this scene but they could not figure out a way not just for the audience to get over that mm-hmm. but for the giant like they knew that the giant would never be able to forgive himself for killing yeah, a deer yeah. it doesn't make yeah. sense from a narrative yeah. it seems like something that you would sketch out in like your in your stru- in your first draft yeah. or you know yeah, when, yeah. when you're planning stages and then you just realise you get to go up to the character and it just but this is work. where like, like of mice and men Lenny kills someone at the end spoilers if you haven't read that <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's like the end yeah, that's, yeah. that's that's it for him because like, there's nowhere yeah, for the character to go yeah, yeah. you know so yeah totally yeah yeah there's no coming back um, from that that's that's the bad thing you're not meant to do like um so Malkovich John Malkovich Malkovich <laughs> Malkovich Malkovich um so but this is where the kid like tells him like this guns kill and then it opens up the conversation of like what happened like will I die will you die and yeah we die but souls go on forever and and it's like wow um wise kid but also like my, I, don't, I couldn't imagine most like American in particular young boys being philosophical about death and saying you know but yeah it's okay that I'm gonna die you yeah, know he does the homework though he does the homework. <laughs> That's what the homework was. That's oh, what the homework was. That's why everyone's so terrified of death. All right. <laughs> they weren't doing the homework. They didn't do the homework. If we'd have done the homework, be like, oh, do you know what death is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, but someone's gone forever. Oh, so it's okay. So now, and now's the scene when um, finally Hogarth decides to start playing war with the giant. Pulls out his laser, like toy laser gun, and this triggers the giant remembers to destroy everything and fires this massive laser out of his hand um hogarth doesn't see it because he's ducking down but dean does see it and dean rescues hogarth hogarth from being killed by the iron giant and then the iron giant is like horrified 
oh shit, I could have killed Hogarth, my friend. So he runs away, goes into the wilderness, and then saves some kids who are hanging from a mm-hmm. clock tower or, or something. What, 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 what I found really interesting about that scene, right, is that uh, he saves the kids. All the townspeople are afraid, but then someone shouts out, it saved those kids! And then suddenly yeah. everyone's just in awe and there's this trust, yeah, right? Yeah. Because they're, they're believing their yeah. eyes. And then the government come in and basically, mostly Mansley, but also the, 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 the army are doing what the army do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and it all goes wrong from there. At this point, people have called the army. Yeah. It's a big scary monster. Mm. But it saved those kids. You know what the saving the kids moment like reminded me of? What? It was when that um, Sudanese refugee rescued that baby oh, in Paris. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then that? they were like, "Oh, now you can be French." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get French <laughs> citizenship because you like you're an they, exceptional refugee. Yeah, yeah. They called him. They called him Spider Man, and it was because he like scaled what was like a ten. It was very building. impressive. It was very impressive. Yeah, <laughs> but but it the makes fact is, it makes it seem like oh, only special people are allowed. To yeah, be and this movie is you know essentially about like fear of the outsider. And then ultimately acceptance of the outsider, but it does bring into question: what, what do we expect outsiders to do mm. um, to win our favor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if the Iron Giant is to be seen as a refugee, like what, what's this film saying? Yeah, because imagine <laughs> because also there's yeah. that thing. Do where you the... have to be an exceptional refugee? Yeah, you have to win multiple gold medals in marathon running. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have totally. to save the children. You mm. have to, you know, you can't just and and promote porn as a healthy alternative to meat. <laughs> Wait, was, who was that? Was it Mo Farah? Farah. Mo Farah right? no, that's not his real name. No, Mo Farah. You know, he came into this country under assumed name. Oh right. Yeah, yeah. So right. it's like it's just really interesting. It's an entirely constructed. Uh, Mo Farah is such a great example of that because his entire personality, which is the award-winning like Sir Mo Farah, is an entirely constructed persona yeah, right, right? Right, right down to the fact that his name is stolen from like a dead iranian child or something like that right you know so the entire thing where we're like this guy is except, yeah it's a total fabrication. the good migrant the good yeah refugee. yeah yeah the good yeah, refugee yeah, yeah, yeah. the good migrant but like i hate that i, I hate it especially because you know like coming from like an immigrant background and stuff like the idea that you have to work really hard. Oh, the Rishi Sunak mythology, where it's like, my grandparents came over here and then my parents started a pharmacy and we worked really hard and they sent me to a really good school. And that's really great if you can have that opportunity, but not everyone does, you know? And maybe you should just be okay with being able to go to state school or whatever. Anyway, that was my rant about the good. (laughs) So, uh, the army are called in and then the Iron Giant like is like chased off a cliff with Hogarth and then he can fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh my god, this is so cool. And they fly now. They fly now. I know! They fly now. I know! <laughs> right? Um, in case anyone doesn't know that, like this, but this works so well. She's like, yeah, the Hogarth says, you can fly? You can fly like that. It's beautiful. And then J.J. Abrams rips that off in Rise of Skywalker he's when such a storm, stormtroopers. He is such a hack. Stormtroopers can fly he's now. A hack as well. But like, yeah. it's like a gag repetition, a repetition gag. But even in the trailer, people picked up on it. It was like, this is boring. This is bad. 
this movie sucks and we haven't even seen it yet. The finale of Rise of Skywalker, too many beams. Oh I want God. more hand-to-hand. So the hierarchy of yeah. exciting action scenes. Oh, man. So he can fly and he's now literally Robert Downey Jr. Um, and he's flying. And then... Um, he gets shot out of the sky. He, he, kind of, uh, he deals with the fighter pilots. It's going all well, but he gets shot out of the sky. And he goes down and he, they crash land. Hogarth, he thinks Hogarth's dead because his only other experience was the deer. So he's poking Hogarth and Hogarth is unconscious. So that's when, it, the, what, well, the thing pops. Yeah. The, the goes, and then, and then, and he, goes then nuts. he goes nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And turns into the ultimate 1950s B-movie killer robot. Um, like fully War of the Worlds, everything. Mm-hmm. And the weapons design is so amazing cool. I love that bit. like the record yeah. thing the orbit like the thing that spins around and then fires lasers mm-hmm. the gun it's and the three prongs that come out of his head it's just so cool what I love is the <laughs> army goes in like all bravado they're like firing off weapons and then within like five seconds they're all fleeing <laughs> like yeah. jumping out and I, I just really I really enjoyed that the general arrives we haven't even talked about the general played by John Mahoney yeah, yeah, from yeah. Frasier yeah, yeah, yeah. such a great voice and definitely a reference to um, like George C. Scott from Power I mean there you go mm-hmm. um, another Doctor Strange uh, yeah, yeah. Love yeah. is very much this movie is indebted to Strange Love for sure but like George C. Scott, like that gruff general, beautiful reveal earlier of him watching cowboy movies next <laughs> yeah, to the White yeah. House. I, I really enjoyed it's that. So good. Well. Again, the kind of like scene that you don't see in an animated movie, you see in a a narrative like a, a sorry a, um, a live action but, movie. but also like it's, it's the character work around that usually in a kids film it would be a general sat at a desk American flags in the background and yeah. everything but in this he's more in like a casual setting he's still wearing his uniform he's watching the like John Wayne movie or the cowboy movies that's yeah. really telling and there's you a, a slow lot about... reveal yeah. in each shot is different and yeah. then finally the final shot is the White House in the background yeah it's a very complicated so cool. little scene so and then um Ken is like, we've got to kill it. When, when Mansley uh, uses the phone and has that conversation with the general, his freak out at the end really oh, like shows an insight into how unhinged that character is. Like It's such a great character introduction because you already don't trust this guy, but you're like, maybe he could be reasoned with or whatever. You know, you don't know the character. And then you see that scene and you're like, uh-huh. I know where, you know. Yeah, the mentality of, but what, the, the, the most like disturbing line for me, um, and funny, but like really disturbing is when Dean says, uh, but he's, he's good actually, he's only, he's only freaking out because he saw a gun. If you don't engage with him, then, you know, he will be cool. And, and also he's got the kid. Can you please like Hogarth is with him? So please don't shoot. And Mansley says, don't worry, I'll take care of it turns to the general and said and general says um what did he say and he says he said the robot killed the kid fire yeah and it's just mm-hmm. so dark like that mm-hmm. kind of uh, propaganda that lie mm-hmm. that lying that um fear mongering like he's so fixated on um fear of the other fear of russians mm-hmm. fear of, of 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 outsiders um he yeah it's, it's great so, it's so, so terrified He's so terrified of what he doesn't know or understand. He's willing to kill children yeah. in order to remove mm. that fear. And that is, yeah, that's horrifying. Yeah. That's true horror. <laughs> totally. Um, so, uh, and that's the only bit of the movie that really happened. 
<laughs> people really felt like that. Whoa. Yeah, right? <laughs> and still do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, it's, um, you, you hear about it all the time when, like, the Americans just, like, fucking drone strike mm. streets in Iran, like, whole streets, kill, like, 200 people to kill, like, one imam. Yeah. And you just think, what the fuck? You know, like, yeah. what the hell? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, you read about, like, uh, oh, yeah, we've had a successful strike, you know, we killed X, Y, Z, and then buried four paragraphs down. Oh, yeah, and his nine children and wife. And you're just like, yeah, man. what? Yeah. You know, I just, I just don't understand. I don't understand that mentality. I don't understand being able to not sit down with the Iron Giant, you know, and have a conversation. Because, you know, he seemed real cuddly. But then the next thing that happens is when they drive back with with Hogarth, you know, that this is like the literal, the final scene. And the reason why like, I, I kind of want to get to this bit, because I think it's like super interesting in terms of the character work, is where Kent Mansley calls the, the nuclear attack. Yeah. When, he, when he rips the phone off. I can't remember exactly how that happens, but the general's about to call everything off. They realize... Yeah, the general is actually reasonable. Yeah, yeah. And he mm. even, like, reasons, like, he even listens to Dean. Dean, Dean is just like, if you mm. stop shooting him, it's totally defensive. It's defensive. You know, stop yeah. shooting mm. him, and it will stop. He's just saved the kid. Please listen to me. Yeah, and then and the general's like, like, the, the kid's, kid's alive? <laughs> and at that moment, you can tell the general's so just like, okay, Kent Mansley is a fuck up. He didn't like him before anyway, yeah, yeah. but now he knows he's lying to him for this power and, move. And Kent Mansley's so like attached to the fear, the paranoia, and the heroism in his own... Like, he's the hero in that yeah, moment. Yeah. Like, launch the missile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and oh, I just, but the thing that I love next, and I think this just says so much about people like Kent Mansley, and we have people like that all across the world, is that uh, he's, all, um, he's all this bravado. He says, fire the weapons, because he's so focused on that. And then the general is just like, you do realize that the robot is here, and we're all going to die now, because the original plan was to fire the weapons, to lead the robot away with the fighter jets and then fire the weapons and he would explode off, you know, in the ocean, basically. But now he's gonna die. And he's like, you can die for your country with the rest of us. And then he's like, screw, screw that! Country. I wanna live! <laughs> yeah, and you immediately know that nothing that he was really doing was because, because of, I guess, fear. Well, it was fear, but it's about power as well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He was placed in this position of authority and, and, he, was status. and, status. Yeah, yeah. and he was exploiting his own fear, but also other people's fear for that power. I, I just remembered a line from earlier in the movie when he's, he's trying, he's plying Hogarth and he says, um, uh, where is it? There's a dark side to pro progress. I don't feel safe. Do you? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone wants what we have here yeah, in the States. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Iron Giant um, decides, well, I'm going to choose not to be a gun. I'm going to choose to be a force for good. I'm going to choose to be Superman. He flies off into the sky and meets the uh, missile head on and obliterates himself. So everyone tears up when he, when Vin Diesel as a robot says the word Superman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then dies in a furious Just way. like Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man does at the end of the Avengers 13 years later. <laughs> like he mm. flies off into the sky with a like. A no, no, bomb, he, get, right? he gets the power glove with the, with the Infinity. No, no, but I mean the Avengers, the first Avengers. Yeah, he doesn't oh, die. Oh, though. Oh, they think he's 
died. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's still oh. the same. And then it's the oh. same beat, though. Yeah, and he flies off into the sky and says, I am Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Superman. Um, and then the final sequence of the film, it's just so beautifully put together, like all the different components of the Iron Man kind of coming together in the Arctic and being rebuilt. But it's not with Hogarth. So it's clearly like there he is alive there's probably more adventures to have but there's not going to be a sequel with these characters it's not a sequelable film but it's also not about um, it's not like the Iron Giant's going to come back and be like their story is done yeah if you know what I mean because it's like a coming of age story and all of those always end with a bit of you know like bittersweetness a bridge to Terabethia moment if you will well that's it's funny you mention that because like uh, I love Bridge to Terabithia and that's also a movie based on a book that was written by a woman who wrote the book to try and help their I've never child. watched the film. I've only ever read the book and the book destroyed Oh me. my God. But she wrote the book to help her child get over the death of a childhood friend. Right. And beautiful book and the film's really, really good. I can't And it. it's just it's <laughs> completely good. devastating. But like, wow. there seems to be, there's a real trend of like, people making these things to try and help children get over trauma and, and reckon with with death and mortality well except we I mean I don't, I don't know about that in particular but in, in this particular case I think what happened is more of a the Walter White type kind of thing <laughs> of, of where, where you, you just do some shit because it's fun and then say it was for it's for your family and, yeah, to yeah, justify yeah. it afterwards um, one thing that I'd like to say, final thing about this film is, and this is an extremely personal note, but it reminded me when you were uh, talking about the book in the beginning and about the Iron Giant like interacting with like the the ocean and like for the first time and stuff like that. In the film, like uh, I have a rescue dog. It's got big brown eyes. You know, it's often confused. It often like it's had to learn a lot of things. It like never been in the ocean and it like discovered that. Discovered it didn't like that. But yeah, I really like every time like the Iron Giant did something or someone hurt it, I looked at my dog. Just like <laughs> <laughs> so with with the Iron Giant sacrificing himself at the end, I'm surprised as an American movie that they showed restraint in not making it a Jesus thing. Mm. Like there is oh. no Jesus moment. Yeah, there isn't. Um, no which Zach is great. Slider, no. There's no Zack Snyder mm. arms out. Really like that. Um, now, this film's about um, a killer robot deciding he doesn't want to be a killer robot anymore. Just like Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was sent, sent to Earth to destroy us all. So, and... is the Iron Giant effectively, a, like if it was set nowadays, is he a terrorist who comes to the United States and learns wholesome values and decides not to be a terrorist? Oh, anymore? that's so brilliant! They should make that movie. <laughs> that would be hilarious. No, but the thing is, like, the thing is, he's I, an Islamic terrorist. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think that if this movie were to be like updated to today, you would have something like Hogarth would be like a Muslim kid. You know, second generation immigrant, right? Single mother, mm. you know, oh, man, and the Iron Giant's American. And then maybe the Iron Giant is like a, you know, I, I've no like you and can keep everything. Kind Kent of... Mansley is like a MAGA kind of, yeah. kind of trumpet. Oh, dude, guy. 
Yeah, that's that's how no, I. No, what if you you said it in Afghanistan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Iron Giant is American. American, and it's like not to, it's it's forgotten that it's a weapon. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, you've got like really right wing. But the thing is, you could also just have that story of it, like being an immigrant in America and the alien stuff. All of that is the same. You know, you can literally keep all of that the same and just make them immigrants in America and have Ken Mansley being a Trump. But yeah, I like yeah, the yeah. Afghan story have as you, well. Have you read um, uh, Superman book. Red Sun? Yeah, I love it. I'm yeah, glad. I love that. It's, I haven't read it. I'll yeah, lend it yeah. to you. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's not amazing, but it's, it's quite good. I think, it's, no, it's really I good. think in terms of like one-shot reimaginings of Superman, mm. like... I don't know the Superman's a really difficult character to get correct, and I mean like those All Star Superman where he like realizes after you know uh, destroying something that he's absorbed too much kryptonite and he's only got one year to live. Like that's an interesting Superman mm. story because it gives him weakness. In Red Sun, it's ideological weakness, um, but it's ideological weakness on all sides. You know the Americans mm. are wrong, the uh, the Soviets are wrong, and it takes him however long to realize like you know it's like a thousand years later when he realizes that humanity has finally got to this point where they can move forward but um that's not really a spoiler because the story is much more um but you know i think i think capitalism is is a brilliant system in theory but it would never work in practice Um, and with that, we've really got to end the episode. <laughs> okay. Um, this was so fun. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, I love fun. Adrian. Thank you, Adrian. Yeah, um, fun. Thank you, guys. I think we should uh, we should do this again and maybe uh, bring on ha- other guests. If you have me back, I'm really happy. Yeah. Do you have any rec- uh, like uh, requests? Let me let me have a think, because you know, like, uh, children's films, children's animated films specifically, aren't really my wheelhouse. I'm definitely more of, like, a genre, like, uh, in terms mm. of, like, horror and action and stuff like that. Um, but what I also really loved about this was just going, one, revisiting a film that I really loved in my childhood, but secondly, watching something that I just wouldn't choose to watch. That yeah. also, you know, because I, like, if you plot me down in front of any film, you know, I'll, I usually end up enjoying it because I have very low standards with film. I'm like, <laughs> it made it to screen, it's a masterpiece. Um, but, you know, like, I definitely gravitate to a certain type of thing that I feel comfortable with, you mm. know, that I can kind of tune off with. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. But I will have a think because there are things like The Land Before Time. We could do Absolutely. The Land Before Time. Yeah. Should we do that next? If you have me back for it. I mean, great. Okay. Uh, the other one I teased in the last episode was Lilo and Stitch. Ooh, which we should definitely do. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe one. we could get another guest for that. Mm. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Talking Tune Ticks with Ed and Tom and guest Adrian. Goodbye. Bye, guys.